Oh, now it gives us a little. Oh, I to, had to, never heard the consent. Oh. I've never heard Zoom say this meeting is being cons- recorded with an audio. Someone sued somebody. <laughs> somebody just sued somebody. Exactly. Finally, GDPR compliant. <laughs> let's yeah. start off. Let's start off with that. <laughs> That's how we start, fellas. Welcome to the podcast. The boys are back. Arian, Messi, Kamesi, um, Big Bill McCarthy, and Rory. Do we got? What was your, what was your nickname? Love? Man, what have we got on the form today? Rory, Rory Lynchpin Lynch. Lynchpin Lynch. Is that what it is now? Okay. It cha- every, every couple episodes is going to change. But um, cool, man. The, the Lynchpin. And what is a Lynchpin, by the way? Uh, it's the thing that holds an axle together. Is that right, Arian? Yeah, it's just the, the little pin that holds like, yeah, a wheel from falling off. So I said, Rory's what holds us together from falling off the rails. Oh, fuck. Nicely done. <laughs> Wow, dude, that actually worked pretty well. <laughs> Nicely done, sir. And um, we are going to preview the women's U.S. Raw Nationals, uh, division by division, give our picks, um, one, two, three. And we're also going to get into a bit of, uh, we're starting up a fantasy league, fellas. We don't got one. We don't got one. Other sports got one. I mean, we all got friends who were like in fantasy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, whatever. Let's start one for powerlifting. And uh, Rory, my man, I'm going to let you explain it. And at the end of the show, we'll give our picks. But maybe we'll do a little preview on how this bad boy is going to work. Okay. So the way that this works is that for each weight class at USAPL Nationals, you pick the one person that you think is most likely to win. So if you jump into the 47 kilo woman, you might say, look, I think Heather Connor is the most likely person to win. Then for the 52s and the 57s and so forth. And you do that for both the men and also for the women. After that, you have two sets of numbers. You have one to eight for men. You also have one to eight for women. And those are your confidence points. And so you can assign each number once to one weight class. So for example, I might say Heather Connor. I am very confident Heather Connor is going to win. I'm going to say she's an eight, but that means I can't put that eight anywhere else anymore. At the end of the meet, if the person that you picked to win has won, you get a number of points equal to the confidence that you assigned that person. So if Heather Connor wins the 47 kilos, I now get eight points. But if she comes second or third, or she bombs and she doesn't even finish the meet, I get zero instead. And so your score is the sum of all of those across the men and across the women. And so you've got one to eight women, one to eight men. And if you get everything right, if you get all 16 picks right, you end up with a really good score. And if you make a whole lot of mistakes, or if the people who you think are going to very likely to win and you lose, and the people who you think are unlikely to win actually do win, uh, then you don't end up with a very good score at all. Or like, yeah. So you got your picks for the eight women's weight classes. I got my picks. So if I have like, I think Heather Connor's going to win 47. And I think, um, you know, and, and let's say, let's say I got Amanda Lawrence is going to win 84. And I am so fucking confident because she's over hundred kilo than anybody else. So I'm going to give her confidence points eight. But now that I can mm-hmm. only use one to eight, but now that I gave her an eight, every other pick I have for the different weight classes to win has to be seven, six, five, like a below eight. So then the next right. most confident, I'm like, well, I think Heather Connor's going to win. She's pretty dominant, but she has to be seven. Now the highest confidence I could give her is seven. So if she wins, I get seven points. Now we're going down the line. If at some point, for instance, uh, for the 63s or 57s, 
we got some battles. And let's say I take, I'm going to take Sam Calhoun, but it's tight. You know, I'm less confident. I'm going to give her a three or four. I think she's going to win, but it's not as dominant as Amanda Lawrence. She wins. I only get three points. Whereas Bill picked her to win, but he was confident with seven points. He's picking up seven points for picking Calhoun. I'm picking up three. So it's not only picking the winner and you need to pick the winner. You also have to have given them confidence points one to eight. And you can only use one number once. So it's not like you just go eight across the board. Well, I'm going eight on all of them. <laughs> you got only got one eight. You got one seven. You got one six. So it makes it interesting. And are you messaging in the, in the group chat now? Ryan mansplaining fucking guy. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm just making sure everybody understands. You guys roasting me in the DMs while I'm talking to each other and I can see the DMs. Thank you. We, uh, we got we got to make it clear because they got to understand because they get to enter as well. So they got to pick who they think their winner is and set their points. I, I only stress the fact because when you guys are telling me in the DMs, I've never seen this before. And, um, and I did have follow-up questions. Like, I'm that guy, man. Maybe I'm a little slower, but I'm like, explain this to me again. But um, if anyone hears this, we're going to get into our normal preview show. At the end, we're going to give our, our confidence points as well. But we'll save it at the end. But if you want to, we're going to put a link in King of Lifts uh, bio, and it'll explain this all in writing. You got questions, by all means, shoot us a DM. We'll hit you back. And you could join the Fantasy League and uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun with that one. Um, Cause I think we're going to get some roasts and if it goes well, we'll go on to the next big meet and the next big meet after that. And we can keep this thing going, but we'll start with the U S raw nuts with that said and done gentlemen, let's do the ladies U S raw nuts 2021 preview show. Starting with the 47s. Who wants we to get started? Go- we can go around with our picks, but I think we're probably going to be mostly on the same page. I'm going to go. All right. So it's it for myself. It's uh, Heather Connors, obviously going to be a clear favorite. I mean, she's absolutely utterly dominant as a 47. Um, so to pick her for winning gold is pretty much a lock. And I think we are all on the same page with that. Is there anybody actually picking an upset for the gold medal besides Heather Connor? No, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure Heather's gonna be, you know, it's her her game to lose right now. So um, there's a couple other women that are, you know, close, and some mistakes could happen, and you know, you could see a, a snipe here or there. But um, yeah, like you said, it's it's pretty clear cut. She's won, you know, multiple years in a row that she's competed in. Um, you know, reigning IPF world champion. You know, so I think it's a pretty safe bet that Heather's gonna do very well in this competition. The other thing is that Heather tends to be quite light. So it's not like she's going to come in with like a horrific water cut and, and, and lose a bunch unexpectedly or anything like that. Right. Like she tends to walk around sort of like, I believe 45 to 46 kilos. So she's like, she's at weight all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, the only thing that I can see happening would be that she gets like unwell or, or, or injured and either doesn't show up or has a like historically bad performance on the day, in which case someone else could take it. But like, I, I, th- I think she's pretty much got it on lock. Yeah. Yeah. That happened a few years ago. She got sick and actually couldn't compete. And that was a shame. Um, and I guess her main competition in this is going to be Leah Goldring, friend of mine. Uh, Leah's coming down from the 52s and she put up a pretty big total at the 47s uh, to qualify for nationals. So um, I think she has a little bit left in the tank, but again, she's coming down from the 52s. So 
She's gonna have to weight cut again for the second time in like six or eight weeks, whatever it is, which is, you know, historically a rough thing to do. So hopefully she can handle that and put up a good competition for sure. Yeah, we got some some weight classes where we have, you know, two, three or four lifters all battling it out for first. Like we don't know who's gonna win. That happened to be at the first weight class to start off with is kind of one that's like, yeah, more of a lock with the qualifying tolls for people who haven't looked at it is Heather's at 395. Leah's at 375.5 and then Dimitri is at 367.5. So Dimitri and Leah are right there for, you know, two and three. Like I said, Leah cut down from normally a 52 kilo competitor. We'll see how she does at nationals doing the cut again. But yeah, it seems like the, for this weight class is a pretty clear winner. And plus actually uh, 2019 second and third place winners actually aren't even in the competition this year. So um, it's going to be a new crop of comp competition for Heather. So I, that's actually it right in row. Um, what I would predict is like Heather, Leah, and uh, Demetria, what are you guys thinking in terms of the one, two, three gold, silver, bronze as well? Are we, are we pretty much in agreement there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't see there being a, um, anything too crazy after that happening, so. Yeah, I mean, Demetria's total wasn't uh, too long ago. It was back in December, so. It's not like her total was like two years old or something like that. Um, you might see a battle between the them, them two for the bench record since Demetria's PR is 85 in competition and Leah has the American record at 85.5. So mm. it'd be interesting to see if they do some kind of battle there and see who gets the chip, who gets the record, and then maybe that'll help when it comes down to the total in those final deadlifts. Yeah, it was a shame because actually Demetria didn't know she could chip the record at local meets last year. Well, I'm, assuming, ah, I'm no assuming she didn't know because she did yeah. 85. Yeah. She didn't do 85.5. So yeah, she did 85 and then she missed 87.5. So yeah. yeah. So oh. I don't think she knew she could chip the American record, but, um, but yeah, but she has a really nice bench and she's super young too. She's like 23 years old. So. Okay. Good and, future. And, and Leah is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Cause she's getting close to like, she's how old is Leah right now? I think she's like 38. Uh, yeah. Like she's that. getting close yeah, to 38. Yeah. So she's getting close to masters and it's always, it's cool that you have like people from two different generations, essentially battling it out. You know, that's how close it can be sometimes some of these weight classes and you see these kind of storylines. Um, so 47s pretty much wrapped up right there. We'll move along to the 52s and uh, the 52s. We do have, we got some movement here, fellas talking <laughs> about generation gaps. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon me. Um, the 52s, we, we have some wily veterans, legends in the game, like Inda, who is a, a, an IPF world champion, been around, won USAPL Raw Nats uh, several times in a row. Um, everybody knows, I mean, association with Juggernaut. And she, she's been in the game for as long as the big social media boom arrived. She's always been there. I remember when I first started Kinglifts in 2016, she already had like 100,000 followers. So as long as people have entered, there's been Inda. At the top at the U.S. Raw Nationals and even winning at Worlds and always in the hunt at Worlds, if not winning gold, then it's going to be silver and she's on the podium. But, and, and historically speaking, her and Tina have had some great battles and, um, and Tina's a hell of a competitor and also a Wiley veteran. I think she was just on the podcast. I think she was, I think six Nationals. Um, podiumed, you know, a slew of times. So everybody knows what Tina and bring. But this year, we have a scary contender emerging. This year might be different. Do you guys think this is the year that Inda loses 
and we see a new emergence of a 52. What, what are your guys' thoughts on this? I have personally quite low confidence on this one. Like this is going to be my, one of my low confidence points, like maybe a, maybe a two or a three or a four. Like I think Marissa Inda has the highest qualifying total, seven and a half kilos, not, not a ton in it, but she has got the highest qualifying total. Close behind that is Andrea, sorry, it's five kilos. Close behind that is Andrea Riley with 422.5. And then a little bit behind that is Tina uh, with 400 kilos. Um, I would like to see Andrea win. I think Marissa Inda squats high in training and she has been punished for it on the platform before. Not, not consistently, but she has been punished for it on the platform before. There's a couple of times at World Championships where she's gone sort of one for three on squats and she's not been able to put her best performance together on the platform when it really matters. Um, and so for that reason, I'm going to say, I think Andrea Riley is going to take it. Um, and I got burned last year because I picked Tina in our, our fantasy league last year and she ended up dropping out at the last minute and I got zero points for that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so a you're not salty about Tina. that. So. You're like, Tina, I can't do it. Um, yeah. Back you, know, you last year. Can't back you this year. That's right. You can't do me twice like that. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it does got to be said, Tina, or, or sorry, Inda, yes, she's, she's, had issues uh with squats but i think she even won the worlds the year that she only got one squat in so she can win even with one squat that's how good she is um before i give my pick obviously i started leading like i gave the intro and you might see how i'm leaning but who wants to go next bill or arian arian you looks like you're ready to go i'll just throw out some yeah some additional info as well as far as you said like you know marissa has that veteran status where she's been competing at a number of nationals and she's currently on a five win streak. So she's won since 2015 until 2019. Obviously we didn't have 2020. So out of the women's side, she's the like ranked third. It's like Jen Thompson is, you know, first in fire titles, then Bonica and Kimberly tied at second and then Marissa at third. So, you know, she's the one who has all the experience. She's been in nationals. She's been to Arnold. She's been in the world. And then you have this new lady, Andrea Riley, who's coming up and putting up some huge numbers and some of the numbers I didn't know until we did the podcast with Tina and she's telling me these train numbers and on paper, these train numbers sound crazy, Staggering. but, but she's only done, I believe four competitions, uh, five competitions, two of them nationals. So she's done some nationals, but she's still, you know, a little bit younger, doesn't have as much experience. What if everyone thinks she's the favorite going in? Is it going to be like, you know, as stressful when you're, you, when you're, everyone's looking on you versus like, you know, you're doing a local meet, no one cares. So it's definitely a hard pick after that. As far as qualifying totals, you have Marissa at 427.5, Andrea at 422.5, and then Tina at 400, and Jamie Fisher at 390.5. So it's a little bit of a gap. So it's definitely going to, I think, be battle of those two. And I, 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 right now I'm leaning with what Rory's saying and, and what Tina's kind of thinking too with the, the train numbers is I'm going with Andrea Riley. Yeah, and let us let me say Jamie Fisher's got a phenomenal bench and is a hell of a lifter herself. And um if anybody comes in here slipping, like Tina had said in the last podcast, and yes, she hyped the shit out of Andrea Riley <laughs> and um, really got me like a takeaway from that podcast. I was like, holy shit, people got to worry about Andrea Riley. Um, but also Tina speaking on herself, she was like, I, I, I believe she was saying she wasn't crushing big numbers. She wasn't doing bad, but she wasn't hitting PRs necessarily. And um, so I'm not sure. She wasn't like blown away with, holy fuck, here we go. So I'm not sure it's, it's tough. So, and, and she said herself, like, I we will just have to see, you know, I'm going there to have fun and it is, it's going to be what it is. So it, it, there does leave a bit of an opening for maybe if someone has a great day to try to bump 
and make a push for that podium and, uh, and push Tina into fourth. And Tina is a perennial podium, you know, contender. I mean, but uh, this is how competitive the raw Nats are. If you're not a hundred percent. So she's doing her best. She was, she was talking about the injury she's been dealing with. So we'll, we'll have to see. She doesn't even know herself probably until that day comes. Bill, what are your thoughts? Before I give my picks, I'll let, I'll let you go. Yeah, I say it's, it's hard to bet against the veteran who's been there, done that time and time and time again. You know, Susie Hartwig Gary won how many times? And it took Marisa, you know, three, four, five times until she finally got over the hump and, and beat her. So I'm going to stick with Marisa until um, Andrea shows that she can do it, obviously. But um, I do think one thing is important here is that Andrea could set the squat national or American record, which would give her that chip advantage going into deadlift, um, which could turn out to be a pretty big deal considering Marisa is usually weighing in pretty light for her weight class um, compared to the other people. So I think that's something to look out for. And especially if, again, if um, Inda has some problems with, with squat depth and then Riley goes out there and smashes the, the American record, it could be over after the squats. We don't know. But uh, I'm going to stick with Marisa. She's got the experience on her side. Uh, Chad. Wesley Smith, her coach, knows what he's doing, knows how to put the attempts in. I have, you know, the utmost confidence in him that he'll put the right number on the bar at the end. Um, knows how to handle that in those situations because he's been there with us at Worlds, you know, coaching with her. And he, he always has a good game plan going in. So um, I'm going to stick with Maurice on this one. Fair enough. All right. And then your second is, uh, sounds like, Riley. And then Yeah, I think, I think it'd be, um, you yeah, know, Riley will be second. And then after that, you know, not sure. Yeah, open. All right. And and Ari, did you give your picks? Did you say who you thought? Yeah, I mean, if we want to do the, the rest of the order, I mean, Tina really downplayed herself. They're like, yeah, I'm not doing good as far as training. I'm just going to go do whatever. And so she was really hyping up Jamie, Marissa, Andrea. So I think um, my pick, I'll just say uh, Andrea first, Marissa second, Jamie third, and Tina will be happy with fourth. She'll just like, you know, be, be glad that she's back at nationals and then coaching the rest of her team. She essentially said that it was hard to read, but she was kind of saying, you know, I want to go there. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to, I'll have some decent numbers, but um, you know, I didn't, I couldn't get fourth the training that I wanted for PRs and in the smash. So we'll, we'll see. I am actually, here's one thing. Okay. So Inda has proven even with a one for three, she can win worlds. Like she's such a bad, she'll come back. She doesn't get rattled. She's been around forever. How many championships now that she has on her belt? Um, she can go one for three and be like, we're good rally back and still clinch the victory. That's huge. But I have a feeling 2021, we're finally going to see a new face emerge at the top of the 52s in the U S anyways. Um, worlds is another story, but I mean, that was, that was, but in the U S I think Riley's going to take it. Um, I think Indo's going to come in second. And I think Tino tornado is, uh, she's going to, she'll have a battle. She's going to get pressed in, and, um, no pun intended because Jamie's got a hell of a press. She'll get <laughs> pressed, but I think Tina's going to clinch up that bronze uh, because she is also a Wiley veteran, but I think Riley's going to take the 52s. And then when, if the world's happens and we'll get to that, you know, later on in the year, Oh my God, is she going to have a battle with Naomi Ellibert from France? Who's absolutely on a freaking terror right now. And, um, but that's another show altogether. So they have a gentleman. What's up? I was, I was going to add another interesting point since Bill brought up the American record for the squat that Marissa has the American record on Delop at 190. So, you know, she could try and chip that at the very end. 
but also Andrea has a PR deadlift in competition at 185. So she might also try and chip the deadlift too. So it's going to be really interesting at the start with the squat, Jamie on the bench press, and then seeing them again on the deadlift. It's not, it's not that I don't think Inda has room to grow, but her rate of growth is good. Like hitting PRs now in her age, you know, it's going to be more and more difficult, right? Whereas um, Riley's young and, and just entering, like it's, she's hitting PRs every other week. We're into, it's got to be a great day and we got to see what happens. If it's going to be a PR, it's going to be a big one. So there is that factor that makes you believe, you know, someone's going to make a push. On the flip side, when it comes to big game performance, Inda is freaking phenomenal. And uh, I mean, she's a legend for a reason. Um, all right, fellas, the, the 57s. And uh, the 57s have had a bit of a shakeup. And we, we see some faces return from the past. We've seen some, um, you know, returning champions, returning world champions, and uh, returning Arnold Classic champions. And uh, that's kind of what's clustering at the top of the 57s here. Um, let me uh, let's pull up my roster here. So, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, sorry, just... not world champion, sorry. Um, but uh, silver medalist. I almost crowned uh, Meg Scanlon a world champion. I remember she broke the world record, but... Uh, but, um, sorry, Aaron, were you going to say something? I was just going to throw out the qualifying totals while you're looking that up. Meg Scanlon's at 471. Uh, Brittany's at 460. Chrissy Paracci at 442.5. And Allie Weinberg at 432.5. Christina Lazo was signed up, but she pulled out at some point. Um, so, here's some of the caveats, though. All right. In terms of the 57s, at one point, Meg Scanlon at the IPF World Championships, put forth a performance we had never seen in the 57 kilo history until Maria T pulled the last deadlift. It was an IPF world record and she would have defeated every single 57 that ever lived on that day until Maria pulled that Hail Mary deadlift. But in terms of performance and how good she was, absolutely phenomenal. And if you're thinking, if you matched up her Maria 10 times it's flipped the coin, right? Because that's what it came down to. Maria tried that same dead twice, missed it once, got it the other time. So that's how good Megan is. However, she's coming off of just having twins, um, had a phenomenal comeback. Like in terms of she's, she's on Instagram. You want to talk inspirational, motivational, the amount of weight she dropped in the shape she got in, in such a fast turnaround and then strength to lose weight and then also put strength back on because you're not doing some crazy lifts while pregnant with twins, by the way, is extremely difficult. Usually it's one or the other. Drastic weight cut, then strength. She had very little time and has a remarkable turnaround. So hats off to her. But can she have turned it around enough? And historically speaking, her numbers of 57 would defeat every 57 that will probably be on the roster. And I already cleared that. But is she there? Can she replicate what she did in Sweden or surpass? I'm guessing her story is phenomenal, but that's the question. So I'm going to let you guys go around. And I think that pretty much sums it up. And Brittany Suplicki, absolutely murdering the weights, Arnold Classic champion, and has been nothing but going up. Um, Christina, who, who uh, Chrissy Max Power, who is the returning champion from 2019, had a horrific injury. Um, coming back from a severe knee injury, heart of a fucking lion on that one as well, uh, in a great comeback story. But I think also the time-wise is very short. Uh, so it is what it is in terms of that. So what are your guys' thoughts? 
man, I, I do I want to pick Meg Scanlon to win this thing? Like, I don't know. could it could yeah. it be any better? Like, just the whole story of her actually competing at the Arnold in 2020 while she was pregnant with twins, like that that whole thing, and then coming coming back and like going back down to the 57s after having like the story is ridiculously good. Like, let's make a movie about this when she wins. But I'm going to pick Brittany. <laughs> I just don't think it's been enough time. I've seen the training. She looks great. It's phenomenal. But I just think Brittany is just on a, a different class right now. That's just the training is just looking so good. that That's, that's the way I'm going to go. And, and your second and third, would you like to, uh, do you have thoughts on that? That you feel comfortable giving those? Or you think it's a little, yeah, pain? I mean, I think I, I'll take, um, Scanlon to come in second place and probably um, Ali Weinberg for third place. How about uh, you, Arian? Uh, I mean, I, I'm like going with Billy here. Like the, the story would be so great for Meg Scanlon to come back and, and win it. And um, looking at her train numbers, she obviously looks strong. I'm just trying to, you know, correlate what her estimated maxes would be and try and figure out, okay, well, how much weight does she have to cut? How much will that take off? We'll maybe like, you know, maybe she just signed up for the 57s. Maybe last minute she'll switch to 63s. We have no idea, but at least from now, from looking at the meet results and looking at her training numbers, I, I have to go with the same thing as Bill is go with Brittany. She, you know, underperformed at 2019 run national. She made five out of nine attempts, but since then she's been picking up the number of temps she's making and she's been putting on strength. So she's really got the momentum going. So I have to go similar thing. Uh, Brittany one, Megan two. And I'm biased towards Allie, so I go Allie three, Chrissy coming off the injury. I have to put her at four. Rory. I don't have anything exciting to say. Like I like I would I would I would love for her to come back and win after after that story, right? But like I'm here to beat you guys at fantasy powerlifting. So I'm not gonna make a sub subpar choice, like a like a choice that I don't I don't really believe in and or a sound uh, bite. sacrifice that. <laughs> so um yeah, I, I have to agree with these guys. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, it's, I got the exact same one, two, three as all you guys. I will say this though. It kind of, it hurts a little bit that Chrissy who, who came out in 2019 and won the U S raw Nats in the previous year, like she got closer and closer. And then when she finally wins and then for 2020 is the year for the worlds that she'll be representing us at the world championships. And then obviously the world got crazy and, and COVID canceled that if that was her chance, you know, and there's going to be a lot of other people in those shoes, but that's a tough one. Some of these people like Meg Scanlon has made it to the IPF world championship, broken world records, gotten medals, had those performances. And um, you're not guaranteed, you know, that's why. Uh, I mean, I said this last podcast, I'll quickly say it again. I told Kristen does she was like humming and hawing. Like, I don't know if I should go to worlds. And I was like, you won us run that you got your ticket. In some other nations, fine, but in U.S. run ads is so hard to win. Go, because who knows if you're ever going again? Like, and that's not just for you; that's for anybody. Like, nobody's safe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's where it hurts, man. It's got to hurt, and um, hopefully, she comes back from the you know the knee injury 100. But I think Brittany is going to emerge in this U.S. run nats. And um, this is going to be a coming out party. And a lot of people are going to be starting to hop on board after this. And I hope the world goes through and everything goes fine. And uh, we get to see her at the world championships because her versus Maria T is going to be freaking phenomenal. Uh, but I digress. We'll wait on that one, huh, fellas? Joy Namani. 
Uh, yeah, well, yo, you're right. Join a body. Oh my God. Dead, look at, we could say it. deadlifted 500 pounds, 227 kilo. And she's a 57 kilo lifter. Freaking ridiculous. Two time 52 kilo world champion, Joy Namani, moving up and is going to battle out with Canada's returning champion, Marie T, and possibly, you know, whoever the winner is here, which are a murderer's row. I need to see the <laughs> IPF Worlds and I need the USAPL to stay in the IPF Worlds so that they can battle. And this is why USAPL, I'm not going to get into it. Don't worry. We're not going to do politics. <laughs> this is why you need to stay because you can't be the best in the world unless you beat Joy and unless you beat Maria. Uh, but anyways, gentlemen, 60, 63s. And um, we have a returning champion several times she's been at the top for a while now in Sam Calhoun. And, um, we have, we have a returning world champion and a returning legend and the goat 63 who just does not, she, man, you can, she's like Jason Voorhees, man. You know, <laughs> she, she just keeps coming back from the dead right when you're throwing dirt on her and, and giving her eulogy. She's like one more time, gentlemen. And, um, so she's come back from so many injuries at this point. 47 years old in, uh, in Jennifer Thompson, Jen Thompson. And um, in December, she hit a 478.5 kilo total. And like, frick, man, you know, maybe at the world level, you know, you got 63s in Europe and Gara and uh, Leah Babwa who are, you know, taking it into the mid fives. But at US Raw Nats, that's going to play well for her. That's going to play very well for her in terms of hitting the podium and possibly finishing in second and third. So Jen Thompson's returning and possibly ruining some other people's day. Um, Cameron Brown, powerful peach. Ordinarily, now she hit a 475. Obviously, you know, she's like 25 years younger than Jen Thompson. Her rate of adaptation is going to be a lot quicker. But in case you guys haven't been following the social media, she has been dealing with some, some severe injury injuries. Um, she hasn't pulled out. She is shifting some weight, but it's not top end weight. And Tina came hundred and said, yeah, it's tough. We've had some cry sessions. Cameron herself in her post, like, I'm not going to lie after a couple sessions, I've cried, you know? So take with, take that with what it is. Uh, I'm not sure if she's mitigating her hopes and just kind of being realistic on it. Kind of like Tina, go in there, have fun, enjoy the process, but we'll see where she ends up. And then you have Sam Calhoun, whom um, is just an absolute monster. Her deadlift doesn't even need to be, it's become also, you know, her most valuable weapon and probably the biggest weapon in the 63 kilo class um, at the U S level at the very least. So um, she will always have the win in her hands. What do you guys think? I'd really like to be able to back Jennifer Thompson, right? When I first got into powerlifting, like watching Jen Thompson come in and bench more than like half the men, like amazing, right? Like I, like I want to be able to back her, but she comes in and she starts behind on squats and then she spends the rest of the day catching up. Right. Uh, whereas like Sam Calhoun doesn't have that. Um, like, so I, I have to go with Sam Calhoun and then I probably have to say that Jen, Jen Milliken for second and Jen Thompson for third, as much as I would love for Jen Thompson to, to, to bring something out of the bag. Like she's what, like almost 30 kilos behind uh, 25 kilos behind on, on nominations. Um, uh, She's got a huge top end on her deadlifts. Obviously, she's got an enormous bench, but like not enough to pull 25 kilos out of the bag. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a interesting storyline for this weight class as well. Like you said, 
Jen Thompson won nine straight national titles. And then you got the changing of the guard where Sam has won the last two. So now like, you know, Jen Thompson's trying to come back to be like, no, I'm coming back to take this weight class. Then you got Jen Milken who moved up from 57, 63 is trying to get, you know, another national title. So definitely interesting. And at that meet that Jen did the 478.5, she didn't miss her third squat and her third deadlift. So, you know, she has some more uh, kilos there in her total. I believe this week or maybe last week in training, she just hit like that squat that she missed in the meet in training. So who knows, she might be able to come in and get that, you know, add another 10 kilos there, maybe add like, you know, another half a kilo on the bench press, maybe add like another five or seven on deadlift. But I, I think that's still not enough. That gets her maybe around like, you know, 495 or maybe even 500. It'd be, it'd be great to see her break the 500 kilo uh, total. But I think Sam still has consistently hit over 500 multiple meets. So yeah, I have to go with Sam at one. Unfortunately, I haven't been following Jen Milken's training. So it's going I, good. It's going so good. I, I would just assume that her training has been going well. She has a 492.5. So I go Milliken two, Jen Thompson three. And unfortunately, Cameron Brown with the injuries, I have to put her at four. Bill, what are your thoughts, love? Yeah, man. I mean, I, if I could back Milliken in this one, like she's one of my favorite lifters to watch. Like ever since she came on the scene in Atlanta at that first national she was at and everyone was like, wait, who just won best <laughs> lifter? Like who, wait, what just, wait, someone just beat Kimberly and, and Jen, Jen Thompson for best lifter. Who is this person? And then of course she goes to worlds and wins best, best lifter in Belarus. Like it was just such a cool, cool year for her. Very, very cool. And I just, you know, her coach Wade loved the guy. Um, I just think that the deadlift is going to give Sam the win. So whatever Sam needs to pull at the end, it's going to come down to the third deadlift. You know, I think they'll both be over 500 kilos, but um, I think Sam, you know, loads up the win and, you know, chips it or whatever she has to do. And she'll end up first, second, or Sam will be first. Milliken will be second and uh, JT will be third. So a big deadlift is a, and particularly a big consistent deadlift is like a massive tactical advantage, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter where Sam Calhoun is after say even the opening deadlifts, she's just going to need, she's going to be able to load up what she needs to jump into the front and other people are not, probably not going to be able to match that so like it's it's hard to compete with that it's like but, when you have a it's like when you have a closer in team sports like you know it's the end of the game you know you just give the ball to them and let them do their thing it's like you know she already has the record she can just chip it put everywhere she needs on and then do it but of course we all remember canada when she had that chance and didn't do it so i mean you know this is nationals this is to go to worlds i'm assuming she's gonna load up whatever she has to for the win but again it has happened before where she hasn't done that that's all. Here's but yes, what, I still think she's going to win. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I'll say. Um, and, and Jen Milliken is, in terms of like, Sam's got that big deck. Jen Milliken is a not, is a, she goes nine for nine and she's a three lifter and she's, she doesn't have like one of her lifts aren't like as significant in some weight classes where you're like, when you think of deadlift, you think of this person. When you think of bench, you think of Jen, you know, she's kind of an even keel right down the middle, like a Bryce Lewis style lifter. Yeah, exactly very consistent however when she's on and she hits her nine for nine she's winning worlds she's winning best lifter at worlds i still remember in calgary uh when she pulled for the win my god you want to talk about somebody who was experiencing turbulence on the way up with that deadlift she was shaking rattling and rolling like elvis in the, in the 50s man and um locked it out for the win she's got tons of heart and cannot you can't look past her um, I think she's going to put together a remarkable performance. It looks like the scene is set for her. If for no other reason, 
you know, Jen Thompson is coming back with like, she's coming back from injuries yet again. And, um, it's tough to be consistently performing. She's getting closer to 50 now. You know, she's on the wrong side of 45. It's getting tougher for performances wise. She can like, you're not going to find a bigger Jen Thompson fan than myself. Obviously um, she's the goat 63, but and, and it would be a remarkable story. I pick JT to take the bronze. Um, <clears throat> I was really looking at Cameron Brown with a 475 just a few kilo off of JT and Cameron Brown being 25 years younger, a few kilo off. Usually that means your rate of adaptation is going to be higher, but um, Cameron's Cameron's been injured and uh, it doesn't look like this year, but she's young as hell. She's like 21. So I'm sure time's coming. I think Jen Milliken is going to go have a remarkable performance, another nine for nine one. And I think she's going to solidify the second and hold herself into that silver. She's close enough. The thing is, Sam is going to have that win in her hands for the deadlift and um, her total right now at five, five eleven, I believe. And, you know, she, she's probably going to put more than that because Sam's still young and in her prime as well. It's probably going to be a little too much for Jen, but we'll see what happens when the world team gets selected. Sometimes you get two people away classes, certain weight classes. Um, so you never know what's going to happen there. So as long as I think if Jen just stays in the pocket, goes nine for nine and gets uh, as many points as she can and just hope that way, and, and it can happen, you know, it could happen for her that she's very competitive on the world scene. So also, those are my- Also have to remember real quick. So in 2019 at our last nationals, um, Milliken, I don't want to say she played it safe, but their plan was basically like, we know there's going to be, because that's when they put the rule in where they're going to take an extra female lifter from each country. So she knew with her IPF score, good lift score, whoever it was then, that like she had to basically get into the X range to make yeah. the team. Yeah. And that was their goal, right? They weren't actually going for Sam unless there were, you know, certain circumstances right. happened, but they were just trying to solidify that spot for worlds. So, and that's again, smart, that's, man. That's playing right. the game. That's really smart. So that 492 was a little conservative too, yeah. also that day. That's all. Hopefully, yeah. We'll see if she goes all out. Hopefully we see all three over 500 kilo total. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be, yeah, that'd be pretty dope. It's going to be a good battle nonetheless. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. So there's the 63s, man. And uh, we got some storylines there. Now we have some, a bit of uncharted territory, gentlemen. The new way class, the 69s. And uh, we have some familiar faces. We got some uh, new people. And um, I'm interested in hearing you guys pick. We ha it Just like it seems like every single... Every single weight class, we have a comeback story. In this one, the comeback story is a returning national champion in Kristen Dunsmore. By the time she went to Worlds, uh, badly injured, but but took the flight through USA across the chest and represented her nation and did, I mean, she still finished top 10, I believe. But uh, she's now moved in. That was at 72. She's now moved into the 69s. Now, when she won the US Raw Nationals as a 72, she weighed 69.7 or something like that. Like she was essentially a 69 already. So this is a perfect weight class for Kristen Dunsmore. So in terms of where her previous um, totals are, you know, when these new weight classes form, you're like, but how are they going to perform in the new weight class? Well, for her, I expect, you know, dropping 0.7 kilo water cut. That's not even a water cut. That's that's insulting to people who water cut. So I expect Kristen Dunsmore to be in terms of that completely fine. And on top of that, the injury that plagued her in Sweden seems to have cleared up because now she's smashing PRs again. 
And um, she's been posting saying, I feel great. Like this is as good as I felt in a long time. And Chrisman Dunsmore rolling at a hundred percent. We already know can win national titles and punch your ticket onto the world team. However, we have some other people in the mix here. Um, so we got Stephanie Scoville, uh, Chandler Babb, you know, El- Ellen Liverpool. Uh, we, we, we got, you know, Paige Hubbard. We got some people emerging and um, it's a new weight class and some new faces. What are your guys' thoughts? Who wants to go first? Rory, you look yeah. like you're... Okay, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was going to say, in this class, I mean, uh, Chandler's got a huge deadlift. Huge. I mean, she's been posting, what, 225, 230, something in that range. Like, that's a huge deadlift yeah, for, for this weight class, for sure. Um, so I think that that's going to, like we said, that's going to come into play at the end where it's just like, okay, what do I need to put on the bar to win? Um, and again, these women haven't competed against each other at this high, high level yet. Right. I mean, for the most part, because it's a brand new division. Um, Stephanie Scoville is the only one who's actually lifted under 69 kilos. Everyone else's qualifying totals and other meets have been in 70, 71, 71 plus. So um, I think she has an advantage there because she has weighed there. She's done that before. So I don't think there's gonna be much of a cut for her as everyone else is. Um, it's going to be interesting because, again, it's, it's new names. I mean, Dunsmore's coming back from the injury and all that stuff. Um, but I think I'm going to go with um, Chandler first, Scoville second, and then one of my lifters, Ellen Liverpool third, um, for the uh, top three there. Fair enough. Yeah, and, and Liverpool's right in the freaking mix, huh? Yeah, she's got, got a good squad. Squ- yeah, big squad, big deadlift. Yeah, um, bench we're working on. <laughs> decent, decent handling. Decent handling. Smart coach. Smart yeah. coach goes a long way. <laughs> what do you think, Rory? I have to agree with Bill. Like this is one of those classes where I don't have very high confidence because sort of like we've alluded to, it's sort of uncharted territory a little bit for a lot of these people. You know, um a lot of these people have cut from 72 to 69, which probably means realistically they've cut from a little bit over 72 to probably a little bit over 69, and now they're gonna water cut on top of that. Um, and that affects people's performance to different magnitudes. You know, some people can do a drop like that and it not affect their performance very much at all. Some people a cut like that is going to be absolutely punishing and it sort of is very individual and it's hard to know in advance like how that's going to shake out. Um, so I do have to say Chandler Babb, I think I like that's the person that I have to support. Like, like Bill said, huge deadlift, huge total. That adds up to like a pretty good package. Um, but like I, I don't have super high confidence in that because of the uncertainty associated with gaining a significant amount of weight, losing a significant amount of weight, you know, all of those things. So right. and uh yeah, I'm gonna actually I, I didn't realize that Ellen was was coached by Bill. So I was actually gonna say um uh Kristen Dunsmore for third, but uh, now that I know that uh uh Bill will be putting in Ellen's cards, I'm gonna say uh Ellen for third. You're gonna, you're gonna say you go, now that I know Bill will you're be dropping her down. cards. Yeah, you're like, I'm for sure saying Dunsmore. Um, no, she's going to <laughs> <laughs> and may I Claire, say Bill Claire's eye is gonna take it and then you know, um, what are you thinking, Arian? Oh man, another wild weight class. Yeah, the, the new weight class. And and I'm looking at yeah, the top six, including yeah, Claire and Paige, that like, you know, sixth or fifth can jump into second and third just because Easy. you don't know people cutting weight, people coming off injuries. Kristen's coming off an injury, Claire's coming off injury. With with Chandler, I think she was doing those delts with a deficit as well. She's doing like 500 pounds for reps from like a slight deficit. She's like standing on a plate in her Instagram post. So it's just yes, ridiculous. But but I go look at her meat results and she's done three meets. She did two in 2018 and one in 2020, all in Michigan. 
So, you know, not a lot of experience and has never left Michigan. You look at like someone like uh, Stephanie was nominated second and she's done 10 meets since 2016. And if you go look at her meet results, it's a sea of green. She like barely misses anything. She's never missed a squat in competition. I don't know who her coach is, but that looks pretty consistent. Then you have Kristen has all experience. Um, her train numbers are looking good. Her squat and bench look about where her best is, but her deadlift looks like it's, it's on. Like her deadlift looks like she's repping out her previous max. So I think she's going to be good for a PR total. I think she's going to put over 500 kilo total. Um, then, yeah, then with the other ones, you never know how much they progress. Some of their totals are, you know, a year old or maybe more than that. Um, so it's tough. I, I have to go again. Chandler Babb is first. I'm going to go with Kristen Dunsmore a second because I think she's going to put enough on her total and with experience and everything to jump up and take a second. And then because we're showing our biases and Paige Hubbard is a strength guys athlete, I'm going to go with Paige for third. I think she's going to sneak in there with her there progress. The third place is just your bias picks now. That's exactly. We have confidence <laughs> picks and we have bias picks. That's what yeah. two different fantasy pools we have going on right now. Um, <laughs> all right. But let me honestly, let's be honest here. Paige is a page is a phenomenal her her she's fucking shifting some serious weight so all jokes aside yo she is for real a contender Paige Jasmine um Claire Precious they're all like you got some these ladies are all in the late 400s and on a good day can it can make a push um and Jasmine's I've been watching her like reposted here. She's starting to squat into the 400s herself. She's relatively new to powerlifting. And some of these people who are relatively new to powerlifting and don't have a lot of meat experience, but their freaking totals are shooting. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be a push onto the podium, but we got to pay attention to some of these people emerging that they're coming in at like a 460, but they're not 460. They're like, you're going to, you can get surprised by them because their rate of adaptation is freaking crazy. They're smashing PRs like every week and they could really creep up on you if you're only looking at like open powerlifting for them. I think that um, Kristen Dunsmore, so I think Chandler's going to take it. Um, you know, her total right now is big, but the, the big thing is the lack of experience. And when you're on the big stage, we've seen funky things happen, you know, in all the different weight classes where, when it comes down to that, you need handling and you need prep and you need to be able to read that scorecard, what's happening. And I don't know how much weight you might be cutting, you know, and how many times you've cut weight at this kind of situation where you're actually traveling this time and cutting in a different hotel room. How many people post afterwards? No, I didn't have access to those things I usually have. Well, it's all part of it when you're doing your weight cuts. There's so many variables that we've seen. So like we've, like Rory said, in terms of confidence points, it's tougher when you haven't seen a lot of somebody. I'm still going to go with Chandler based off of the potential she has. But my second pick is going to be a more solid contender in terms of being around the block. And that is going to be Kristen Dunsmore. And I'll tell you why. Kristen Dunsmore, when she won the national title, um, put up a 495 two years ago. Her 495, again, she, she weighed in 69.7 kilo. She was essentially a 69 kilo lifter. Like, it's not like, you know, the variable. That was a 495. And it looks like her bench and squat is where it was previously, but it, her dead, she's hitting PR. So I do believe she's going to make a push into the 500 kilo range. She's actually going to have a PR uh, total and it'll be, it'll be enough to solidify push past Stephanie, who I'm picking to take the bronze. And it'll be, you'll be get her the silver and Stephanie nuzzled in with the bronze. And I do think though, I mean, you have people in here like Paige, Claire, Ellen, like we've already talked about that are all extremely strong. And some of them don't have a lot of experience. And I mean, 
it's one of those wild cards where do you rise up when you're on the big stage or do you, and do you surprise people or do the other variables come into play and you know, you don't finish off. So I am going, even if they don't podium, I want to pay attention to what they do because in the future, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be a damn problem. There it is. Moving along into the 76s. And this is still once again, uncharted territory, but even though it's uncharted territory, we do have some names we're familiar with. Don't we gentlemen? Yeah. Another wild one though. Another wild one. And this is a tough one to pick. So Daniela Mello is, um, I mean, she, she, we need not, if you don't know who Daniela Mello is and you listen to this podcast, you're probably new to powerlifting. You know, she's an absolute monster, um, you know, world-class. She's got experience at U.S. Raw Nationals. She got experience at IPF Worlds dating back years now, like 2017. Um, so well-established and well-traveled, even though she's still young. But brand spanking new to 76 we've never seen her cut the 76 weight cuts are funny you could come in there with the best of intentions we've seen people weight cut and it became an utter disaster we see people weight cut and they look absolutely phenomenal i don't know if she's practicing the weight cut if she's done the weight cut in in training several times just to see what it feels like if this is going to turn into an isabella von weisenberg 2018 situation or if this is going to turn into, you know, name however many other weight cuts have actually gone well. That's the biggest intangible for me. I'm not sure about that. And if anybody can raise their hand and say, I'm sure you're, you're bluffing though. But you are bluffing though. Because the weight cut can be nasty and it can bite. And uh, so there's that. There's also Jasmine Penn, who's um, shown tons of potential previously. And, um, you know, she's, she's strong. She's got a high total. And this was, this was previously too. Now she's young. She's a junior. I think she's, is she now into the open? Yeah. At 24, she is. Yeah. So in terms of her rate of adaptation and where she's really coming into her prime right now, um, you know, Dana, McNeil, Mar Maria, like Autumn, what, what are you guys thinking here? What are we looking at? What are your picks? And then I'll give you mine. So here's the interesting thing with the top three here, which are the three favorites in this. You're talking Dana McNeil, Jasmine Penn, Danny Mello. You have two coming down from 84 kilos. So you're basically cutting eight kilos of competition weight to make weight for this for 76. And you have Jasmine who's coming up from the 72s who just came up from the 63s. So, you know, she's basically like, Give me all the food you want to give me because I'm good to go. So Jasmine's qualifying total was at like 70 kilos or something like that. Whereas Dana and Daniela were in, you know, 81, 83 kilo with their qualifying totals. So, you know, just off the bat, you're like, okay, well, 600 to, you know, 530 to 500. Okay, it's no contest. But now there's going to be a definitely a level playing field here, I think. Just because, again, it's just, that's eight kilos is massive. You're talking you know, 10% of these women's bodies. It's massive, massive, massive. So um, regardless, I think if Daniela Mello win, or if she makes weight, I still think she wins. But I think Jasmine's going to give her a run for her money for, for her first place, I think. So um, I'm going to go Daniela, Jasmine, then Dana. Dana has a big deadlift, but I think that Jasmine um, will put that big old subtotal out there and she'll be able to um, outrun Dana for second and push Daniela for first. And then if Mello has a rough cut and 
she has an off day, I think Jasmine can definitely take this thing, but I'm going to go with Danny just with the, you know, experience of being, you know, IPF world champ. And, you know, she's had a little bit of time off. She's rested now. She's healthy. And I think she is taking this a lot more serious now than she was in the past, if that makes sense. Um, so I think she's going to be on point. So I'm going to go Danny first. Let me offer this real quick before anyone else goes. Um, Dana McNeil did compete and hit a 505. So to your point, Bill, you're right. Her total did go down from an 80 from her 84 total. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're right. You're, you're 100% right. Just to add that, if that helps, like, I mean, she could still bring that up a little bit, yeah, but yeah. that somewhat mitigates, you know, it, it impacted her dropping down. That's what, was gonna, that's what I was going to mention too, is that Dana put in her higher total for her qualifying total, but in February she did compete at 74.8 kilos and she totaled 505 making all of her lifts. So we don't know how much more she had. I didn't go look at the videos to see if she like sandbagged, but we know at least she ha- she's already at weight and she at least has 505. Right. And ja- Jasmine's already at weight and she has at least 507.5. And then six, you got, six kilos underweight. <laughs> and, and, yeah. then, then you have Danny, who's the wild cards. Like you don't know what her weight is because maybe she was already thinking about going down to 72 years ago. Maybe she started and then she's like, okay, now I can just go 76 or maybe she didn't. But you know, in December, they announced the new weight classes. And maybe since December, she's been making the weight down. Um, Sean has done weight cuts pretty much every meet before he coaches people that do weight cuts. I'm pretty sure he talks to coaches and stuff about weight cuts. So I think he's probably going to go around asking anyone that he can to make sure Danny makes weight. Like that's priority. Number one, she's going to make weight. Then from there is, well, what kind of strength does she have? Does she like, you know, how much strength does she have from the six thirteen she put up um, before she starts a weight cut? And then from the weight cut, does she lose 10%, 15%, 20%? If she had like, let's say the strength for 600 and then loses 10%, you're still at 540 compared to those 505 and 507.5. So I think it's doable for Danny to make weight and lose, let's say 10, 12% off of her, whatever her strength was at the time and still be able to win. So this was tough for me to pick. So when I couldn't decide, I went with what's the biggest total. So I went with, with Bill's pick as well. Uh, Danny for first and Jasmine's had like a number of bad meets where like, you know, bombed out of worlds, like, you know, a questionable call nationals on deadlift. And then recently she had like a, a bad local meet, I believe. So I, I feel like she's going to put it together. Weight, weight cut's not an issue. It's just figuring out the peak, getting the attempts right. And so I think she'll take second, and I'll put Dana third. Rory, what are you saying, buddy? I want to like Danny for this, <laughs> but she is an absolute wild card, right? She totaled 613, <laughs> which would have been a world record, uh, debatably was a world record at the time that she did it. Um, she was like a relatively light 84 from memory. Like, like she weighed in at 83.5 or something, but I don't think she water cut to it. I think she just sort of like walked in at that. Um, but that was two years ago. That was, what was that? Like July, 2019 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that's coming up on two years ago now dropping eight, eight kilos. Um, Bill made a good point that if she makes weight, she will probably win but eight kilos is a lot of weight to drop and 84 kilos is like not that heavy, right? Like she's losing 10% of her body weight. She might not even want to lift after dropping 10% of her body weight. Um, so I am going to say Daniela Mello uh, to win, but I'm saying it with like relatively low confidence because that, that risk that she doesn't even make weight is relatively high compared to many of the other competitors here. Um, and I think if she doesn't make weight, I uh, like, I think Jasmine Penn has a really good chance of taking this if she doesn't. Um, so like, I, I'm going to say Danny, but I'm going to say it with, with low confidence. 
So it sounds like you got Penn for second, and I'm assuming you're taking uh, McNeil for third. I guess. Okay. Um, so look, at, I'm essentially going to echo what you said there for all the same reasons. I think that it, McNeil went first going down from 84, and we've seen her, her total drop. Um, I mean, what was it, 22 kilo? So if I take that. 32. 32 kilo. Um, yeah. even if we, which is considerable, that's huge. If I even take that though, if I say mellow goes in and I'm just using, and this is, look at this is shitty sample size. It's a sample size of one, but we don't have a lot of sample size right now, gentlemen. So if I just take top end lifters in terms of 84 is going to 76 is in the U S I'm just going to look at that. If I knock off 30 some odd kilo off mellow, she's still going to take this. That's why I'm going to say mellow, but sometimes people don't even make the weight or it becomes like, it's way harsher than you think. I do think, I think Mello's going to take this. I think she makes weight and I think she still wins. And I think she can win comfortably, not having a crazy push because she doesn't need to hit her old numbers, which is sometimes the push. I want to drop down a weight class routine on my numbers. As long as they're realistic. And this is where attempt handling has to be on point. If they go in there, with a crazy cut they've never experienced before. And they are way out of whack with their expectations of coming back, feeling strong. And they start putting attempts that are way too much. And it's like, you don't need your old numbers to win this. You don't need 613 to win this play to win. I don't think they're going to do that. I do think though, that is how that disaster would strike. We don't have control over this. You see funky things happen um, with excellent lifters. So I know what you mean, Rory, when you're like, there's a lot of fucking variables around this one though, huh? Um, so the variables are she cuts, she makes weight. She cuts, she makes weight and feels decent enough. The handling and even her information to the handler, because sometimes you feel great, get under the bar and holy shit, it's not there. And your handler's like, well, I already put that attempt in. So <laughs> like sometimes that happens too. So as long as everything's okay, Mello takes it. I think Penn comes in second. Uh, Penn phenomenal lifter hasn't had the greatest of luck. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's the calls it's, it's tough, but the strength has been there though, at the very least. Um, she, I, I do think you're right though, Arian. I think she had a meet where she wasn't entirely happy with it, but previous to that at worlds, she looked strong. She wasn't dropped. She's had to drop the squats a little lower. Um, you know, at nationals, we're talking the deadlifters controversial call. So it's not really all on her. So I think sometimes it's like, it's the calls. It's the way in Canada, obviously hockey guys, it's the way the puck bounces as they say. So it, I think the puck is going to bounce her way work with me. Rory hockey is not big in New Zealand, <laughs> but anyways, um, I do think Penn's going to do uh, pull out the, the second. And then obviously I think McNeil for the, for the bronze medal. I just want to add, I think we're being a little bit dramatic here about the weight cut with, I mean, cause they have known for like, nine months that they had to make weight at 76 so it's not like they just kind of pop this out and they're going to water cut eight dog we see people we've seen people know for nine months look i tell you i've seen people know for a long time and still it looks no, no, i know but i'm saying it's not, it's not like it's not like we're saying she's just you know going to water cut like eight kilos like overnight or whatever so like i'm assuming that you know she's on the right track and going to have a you know two three kilo water cut like most people do kind of thing um again like you said disaster will you know, could strike if she's, you know, 
81, 82, 83, and trying to cut down from that the, the week of kind of thing. But I think she's probably on the right track um, with, you know, having all the help that she needs, um, you know, with obviously with, with Sean being her coach and, you know, getting whatever nutrition help and that kind of stuff. So I think she'll be okay. I think we are being a little dramatic about this. <laughs> Yeah, like, see, I, honestly, I don't think we are. I swear to God, I think we're being right on point with it. Um, I'm picking her to win. I am picking her. Yeah, to win. yeah, yeah. No, but for I sure. think it is. It is a storyline. I mean, look at Sean himself. Is every trial and tribulation he's had making weight, and he's had a few himself, and he's been a perennial 83, and he's had uh, tough times making weight. But that helps him with experience. On every time you you're in the fire as a coach, um, you know you can help him be like, well, don't do this, do that. So that actually helps him. Uh, guide mellow. I do think like she's got good people in her corner. Like, you know, Sean's been around the block. He, he's been cutting and he knows what to do, what not to do, etc. So I agree. I think she'll make it, but it is fuck man. I've been there. I've cut and I've been there. I've had days where I'm, I, uh, I was like literally back to wall would have bombed out. I dropped like crazy. And I've had other day, other days where you cut and you're like, Oh shit, I'm going to murder some weight. So <laughs> it's a storyline, but I do think she'll win. Aaron, you're going to say something. No, I was just going to say, uh, hopefully they have her like, you know, down to 80 or, or under 80 at this point. But like Rory says, she hasn't competed in two years, so we don't have any competition data. And she's not really one to like post her body weight in her post. So we don't have no idea what her current body weight is or how it's been changing. But like I said, it comes down to priority one, make weight and then two the attempts. So if, for example, let's say Dana's like up to, you know, 520, 525 total, Jasmine's up to like, you know, 530 total. Well, you don't have to hit the 613. You just have to right. hit 532.5. Right. That's exactly it. As long as she she doesn't need her old numbers. As long yeah. as they're like, look, it just play to win. And uh, yeah, so I think she's got so much room, even on a bad day. Um, if we knock off 35 kilos, she could still have this. If we knock off more, she could still have this. So that's why she is my pick. But it'll be interesting. I am interested in seeing what, what kind of kilo she wraps together. And the weight cut, the water cut is only going to get easier and easier as time goes. You get better and better at it when it's your body and you've gone through it and gone through yeah. the stress of it. All right, gentlemen, that leads us to the 84, uh, 84 pluses where we got the, the champ, the champ, champ, the champ, champ, champ. She's won um, the World Games, the IPF Raw, no. and IPF. No, has she not? We're, we're on 84. Oh, wait, shit. I, I went to 84 plus. I'm sorry. I jumped <laughs> in weight class. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Pardon me. Um, 84. Okay. Well, then we got uh, just, just straight up the champ. Um, Amanda Lawrence. However, she is, though, the holder of despite being in 84 and not in the biggest weight class, she has the biggest total of 2020 in, in the world, in all of the IPF. Amanda Lawrence, absolute phenom. Um, good luck trying to catch her. She's, I believe over a hundred kilo more than all the other ladies. Um, you know, just, uh, and that's not even, that's no, no jab in any of the other ladies. That's just how good she is. Like there's nobody 2020, nobody in the world period in the IPF, regardless of weight class posted up a bigger total than her. So obviously my pick I'll go first because I'm pretty confident on that one, but what are you guys saying in terms of the 84s? I, like, I don't think there's a debate here, right? Like her nominated total is 130 kilos ahead. She's a seasoned competitor. She isn't doing weird changing weight class things that, that like throw a whole bunch of unknowns into the mix. Like unless something horrible happens between now and the meet, like she gets, she gets very badly injured or very sick. Like I, I, she's, she's more or less got this in the bag. Like the only thing that can happen is that she, she sort of fucks it between now and then. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, she did her her six thirteen at Worlds and and won Worlds in twenty nineteen, and then she comes in twenty twenty. She's like, don't worry, I got this six forty six. Yeah, bump bumping up your world record total of thirty three kilos, and I believe it looks like it's the first time she ever went nine for nine. So she's getting her attempt selection and feeling what her strength is on the day up on point now in like a local meet, and now she's going to nationals where yeah, she doesn't have any competition really, and she can just do her own thing, hit her own numbers, break her own records, go for best lifter, get another national title in her belt, and move on. Yeah, unless she misses her her flight, I mean, she's gonna win. <laughs> um, sure. um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, there's no question there. I mean, unless something, somebody has been hiding something for the last couple of years, whatever. But um, uh, just taking a look at this, I think um, uh, Gina Hensley, I think she'll end up taking the uh, silver medal at this meet this year, um, with a couple other the women dropping down to the seventy six. Um, and like Ayla Thurston is, um, is out this year. She just pulled out of the meet. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, another weird thing we, we kind of really quick haven't talked about is like, there's still obviously COVID going on in the United States. So like something yeah. could change really quick with some people here or there where like someone gets sick literally the week before the meet and like they're out. So like, you know, we're, we keep saying like, you know, this is, you know, she's probably going to win, definitely going to win, definitely going to win. But like, Stuff could change really damn quick right now with the uh, definitely gonna win going on if they show up, right? Like it's definitely gonna win if they if, <laughs> yeah, if yeah, they make it. Bill's like calculating who's training at home and who's training at the gym to pick his confidence <laughs> yeah. points. He's he's really he's going vaccinated deep already. On his, uh, like, yeah. He's like, I, I know the state she's in, and I know the calls. <laughs> and it's like, all right, this is going really in depth right no, now. No, I'm not saying like Amanda. I'm just saying in general. Like, I mean, these things can I be know, flipped real quick. You have this overwhelming favorite, then all of a sudden, like, guess what? They're not coming. Like it happened to Heather a couple years ago, right? It Where she it was happens. like, you know, no happens. chance she's gonna lose. And all of a sudden, she's like, dude, I'm super sick. I'm I'm not competing. You know, so yeah, you know, I mean, especially. I had a couple Brian masters. Williams. I had yeah. a couple. I had a couple masters lifters that dropped out. One that was a national champion, went to worlds. One that had a chance of winning, and and Sarah Brenner, who's gotten second place in eighty four plus, she just dropped out recently as well. So you never know. Yeah, that sucks. Sarah's Sarah's good. Um, so what about Margaret Hampton in terms of you got Gina over Margaret? Yeah, um, I've seen Gina's train. I think it looks pretty good, so I'm going to go with her. Fellas, what are you saying? Bill's a way better scout than I am, so I'm going to back him this time. Okay. Uh, same. I mean, G Gina's been competing for quite a while, even though she's fairly young. And, and she was like, you know, she's been in the world. She's been done nationals. She, uh, you know, moved up weight class and stuff like that. Uh, she's not going to have a problem with the weight cut. So I, I think she can get take second as well. Um, I'm actually going to take Gina as well. I remember I was in Michigan. This is like 2012-ish or whatever. And Gina was a kid. Like Gina was like a a teen or a preteen and she was smashing and everybody was like when she was a kid like that kid's gonna be something someday and there was hype on her she's breaking all these records and i think she was like a national champion as a teenager and all throughout so she's got tons of potential and um she's only getting better so i i've known gina for that long and because obviously canada michigan are right there so sometimes we would come down for competitions and we'd see them compete um so I'll take Gina for the silver. She is good for it. Even though she's young, she's been like, she's like a freaking 10 year veteran um, or more than a 10 year vet. So she, she's not going to be shy in terms of the, the big show. So yeah, obviously Lawrence, uh, then Gina, then Margaret. And I don't think that we're going to see anything, um, anything in terms of uh, surprises on that one. Now, how about the 84 pluses gentlemen? 
do we think that there could be it, it does hurt that uh sarah's not in this one though yeah those there'll still be a battle between bonica and amanda on especially on the squat because amanda martin tried the american record 273.5 in december and if you go watch the video she made it all the way up to as close as you can get to lockout and then had a little bit of downward motion Dude. and locked it out. So, you know, if she can get her balance or whatever the issue was with that one, not only would she take the American record squat, but that was 13 and a half kilos. She would have put on her total, which would have got her to about 630, uh, 631 or something like that. And Bonica's nominated at 640. Obviously, she's, she's done more before. I don't know where Bonica's training necessarily is. She doesn't always post as much stuff. She has some strongman stuff as well. So I think it's going to be obviously a battle on the squat. But it also could be close on the total, but I still take Monica. I, I'll pick Monica every time for any championship. As you said, the champion bench, the champion raw, the champion equipped, the world game champ. I'll take her till she loses. She, she yeah, she's as perennial a winner as you get. But um, to your point, that 273, 603 pound squat that Amanda had, I reposted it. You've never been so close to a finished squat and then had it taken away because of the wobble at the, it was already locked out. It was crazy. Um, so in terms of her total, it is like Arian is saying to his point, it is bigger. It is potentially bigger. The squat will be there. And um, so we'll see what happens there. If she can get some chips going and, you know, it might be a factor, but uh, who wants to go next? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, going to always back Bonica on this. I mean, every competition she enters, going to back her. She's fun as hell to, to work with on meet day. <laughs> She's just easy going for the most part. And just like, you know, load the bar up and let, let's go get it. And then just get out of her way when she makes her, makes a PR. Cause she's coming to tackle you afterwards. <laughs> but um, I will say because of the schedule, right. Cause so raw nationals, equip nationals, bench nationals are all happening the same week. So I do think that if the schedule was a little bit different, this could be a lot closer in a different competition. So basically what's happening is I think it's um, Saturday is raw nationals for Bonica and then Sunday will be her equipped nationals. If they were reversed, I think we could have seen possibly an upset from Amanda um, just with Bonica being beaten up from the gear and stuff like that the day before. But since it happens that the raw is before the equipped. So I think um, Bonica does what she needs to do to win and moves on. I mean, she's the, the, I mean, yeah, every, every, every super, yeah, she's, she's the best. She's the yeah. best female heavyweight in the world. Raw, equipped, bench, doesn't matter. She's the best. Rory? I think it would be a good upset to see Amanda Martin win, but I don't think it's going to be this time, right? Like, Bonica is consistent. She's a competitor, right? She'll do, she's unlikely to get sidetracked by, by ego and bad decision-making and all of those things. Like she'll do what she needs to do to win. Um, and so like, I, I have to back her um, and like, it'll, it'll be good. One day Amanda Martin will give her a really solid run for her money and, and will will probably dethrone her or someone will dethrone her, but I don't think it's going to be this year. Um, but I, I, I will put uh, Amanda Martin for my second place. And I, I, I'm not familiar with either Alexis Jones or Gabrielle Phelps, who are the sort of the third and fourth nominated lifter. So I guess, one of those guys likely to come in third. Uh, Alexis Jones is, is really good. She's from Florida, teen lifter. And then she got picked to go to Midland University for their collegiate team. Dang. And and so she's 
Was she 20 years old? She's turning yeah 21 this year, and her bench is at 150.5. That's her, that's her main lift. So she's got a, a strong squat as well, 227.5. So at 578, she's a little bit behind those two going over 600. But I think she could be in the future. If she's already at 150.5 as a junior, imagine like you know when she sticks around for a few more years, how big that bench is going to be. I'll take Alexis for bronze, and yeah, you're right in terms of um, what's this. Uh... What's, what's that 10 there, Rory? You, you throw me off here in the group chat with your DMs. But, 10 um, minutes. 10 minutes. All right, gotcha. Um, I'll go with Alexis. And in terms of Bonica, I'm going to pick her. But it is, it's like the Ray Williams situation where when you're winning over and over year after year, you're always at a certain point, it becomes like, how long can this possibly run? You have to have a bad day at some point. You have to have a bad enough day. Here's the thing. You have to have a bad day when the competition gets close enough to exploit that bad day. Um, with Ray, it ended up taking himself completely out, right? So it wasn't like it was a close battle, but he had a bad day and someone took it. But we do have Amanda Martin that we can't look past. She can throw on extra kilo onto her total, um, if she gets the squat that she would have had previously with the wobble at the end, and let's say she increased her squat. Let's say she increased these numbers. Now we're talking a lot closer than you think. If we were talking 630 and Bonica has gone to 640 before, I don't know how her training's going. What if 640 is what she has right in the tank now? If Amanda's 630, what are we talking? 10 kilo? That's an attempt. That's one attempt somewhere along the lines, right? So I'm just saying in sports, we see this happen eventually the dynasty comes to an end. It has to come to an end at some point. Now, having said that, I am going to take Bonica because historically speaking, the best predictor for the future is the past and she's always won. But I just want to give that caveat to anybody listening. Pay attention to Amanda Martin. And, and this is one of the years where it isn't going to be a walkthrough. You know, it's previously where it might be like, well, it's going to be Bonica. Well, it's going to be Bonica, but it could be a battle and it's, it's going to be worth watching. Is that fair enough, gentlemen? Yeah. All right. Should we do the confidence points? Or what, what, we got time for this. What are we saying? Do you, Let's wanna, run real... do you want to go yeah. through the weight classes and give the points? Or do you want to go from like eight points down to one and give our picks? Yeah, let's start with our, whoever has the most confidence and we'll kind of give that and then we're going to go from there. All, All right. right. So, who, who, so what are you guys at number eight? What is your most confident weight class to win? I'll go first. I got Amanda Lawrence. Oh, same, same Amanda Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's my that's my eight. Bonica Brown for me. For you, Bonica Brown, your eight. After I just gave my speech, you slapped my fist. <laughs> who, who's, who's your eight, Ryan? Oh, I think it's Amanda Lawrence. I think Bill's crazy for not saying Amanda Lawrence. I think that is insane. Amanda Lawrence is 130 kilo ahead, not 15 kilo. But but I mean I mean if we all pick Amanda and Bonica and they both win, we still end up with the same points. No, I'm just saying, I, that, that's pretty yeah. crazy, but maybe Bill knows something we don't. I don't know. Look at Bill's face. He's so confident. <laughs> He's it so makes serious. battled with someone that confident. Right. Like, yeah, right. Seven. Who's your guy's number seven? I got Heather Connor for number seven. I got Heather. I got Heather. Yeah, I got Heather as well. <laughs> Fair All enough. Right. Number your, six. Who's your six? Amanda Lawrence. Sam Calhoun. I Oh, I've got Bonica for number six. 
You know what? I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Sam Calhoun. Yeah. Who's your number fives? Number five, I've got Sam Calhoun. I got Chandler Babb. Sam Calhoun, number five. Five, I'm going to take Monica. Five. All right, who's your four? I got Chandler at number four with the 69 kilos. Likewise. I got Bonica Brown, four. God damn it. Yeah, I'm going to take Chandler for my four. Who's your threes? Danny Mello. Still in my answers, Bill. Yeah, I got Danny Mello as well. I got Brittany Soplicki. I'm going to take Riley as a 52. Um, and that's a tight, that's a tough dicey one, I realize. But um, fucking Tina really gave a sales pitch <laughs> <laughs> in that last podcast. All right, who's your, who's your two? I got Andrea Riley as my two. Got Andrea Riley as my two. Soplicki is my two. Soplicki is my two as well. Um, obviously picking her to win. And uh, and then I guess we're all mellow number one. As, no, as our, I said mellow. Or wait, Marisa, said mellow. Inda, the reigning and still champion <laughs> of the 52 kilos. Okay. Arian? Danny Mello. Rory? Andrea Riley. Okay. And I'm going to take, okay. Because look at Oh, that's funny. You and Bill are going head to head with this, but you're not, you're both not confident in your fit. Well, I would say you're, you're not as confident as your other picks. It doesn't mean you're not confident, but in terms of your other picks. Um, yeah. And I'm picking Mello to win, but then I'll, that'll be my one pointer. Fuck man. Yeah. So basically, I mean, Rory and I are going for like, you know, with the 52s being the most competitive weight class between, you know, Marisa and, and Riley and Aaron, you had Danny as number one. Yeah, because of the making weight. Yeah, so basically, you Same. guys are saying that the the weight cut for her is the more, um, the rough thing. So yeah, I mean, we're all on the same page. It's just it, it, yeah, because you're in terms of confidence, what shakes your confidence? Well, a lack of history. I just said earlier, the history is the yeah. best predictor of the future. We have no history in some of this. Yeah. It's totally blind, blind in some weight classes. But I gotta yeah. get, I gotta gain some ground on the champ, 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 Bill, because you know. Rory will get one point if Andrea wins. Bill will get one point if Marissa wins. But I'll get two points if Andrea wins. Or zero points if she loses. So, and then Bill is a point ahead. Yeah. Well, there we go. You get zero points if you didn't pick the winner in the first place. Yeah, just to remind everybody how this works. This is going to be interesting, fellas. This is going to be interesting to see how this rolls out. And then we have the men's um, in our next podcast that we're going to dissect. Um, Listen, Roy, I think you got to go. Fellas, can you stay for a minute? Yeah. All right. Rory, thank you very much, kind sir. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll talk to you next episode when we do a division by division for the men's and then obviously our confidence points picks as well as our picks. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. And how do people get a hold of you for coaching too? Uh, Yes, you can get me at Rory Lynch on Instagram, R-A-W-R-Y-L-A-N-C-H. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'll see you guys next time for the the men's picks. Thanks, bye. Talk to you later. All right, fellas.
Now the fun begins. Let's talk a little. <laughs> this is for the KOTL after dark now. Um, what are we talking here? Bill, you want to talk a little 90s hip-hop, Playboy? Because I grew up in the 90s hip-hop. <laughs> you're two talk... years older than me, for God's sake. Uh, right, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like schooling you like you're a kid, right? Because I grew up on 90s hip-hop. Uh, I'm here with the two old guys. <laughs> That's right. But let me tell you a little something, something about the 90s hip-hop. So I recently um, – was there a reason why you, you chose this one, Bill? Do you have something you want to say specifically? I was honestly just joking, but we were ro- totally rolling it. Yeah, let's no, go. Let, no, we're gonna, <laughs> no, we're going to do it. Because I, I knew it because I knew it would get you like psyched oh, up for it. That's all right. Dog, please. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> let, let me let, let me say something. Okay. In terms of um, a period in music, in a time period, in a specific music that was wild, there was nothing quite like 90s hip hop for people who don't know. So I was in high school in the 90s and this was literally, this is like the internet was relatively new and you would be coming to school and hearing shit on the news. There was no social media. So you, it'd be literally in the news. Like, did you hear this happen? Did you hear that happen? And in the nineties hip hop, there was no bigger story than the East coast, West coast battles. And this was, this was my man. And this was literally dividing lines between. So I'll give you a quick background story. And we could talk about it and talk about some rap artists that we were into in the 90s and whatnot. Um, Arian, are you into 90s hip-hop, by the way, before I get into this? Some, but maybe not as much as you. No, it won't be as much as me, but you'll be, uh, you'll, you, you're familiar with Tupac, Biggie, uh, Nah. Yeah, the big, big name, the big names, but I'm a little bit younger than you, and I like to rock more than rap. Oh, do you? Or what, Rory, or uh, Bill, what's your, what's your favorite music? <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, everything. Like, I, I'll listen to anything, anything. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter. I, I don't have a specific, like, I need to listen to this. Like, I'm just uh, enjoy it all. Yeah, I'm kind of like, depends on my mood, too. It's tough. I'm probably yeah, yeah. rap number one, but there are some days where, like, I won't put rap on at all or play other shit. But, um, all right. So, in terms of 90s, just for a little background on people, Biggie, so Tupac came through. There was NWA, and that was late 80s and early 90s. And after NWA, if you saw the NWA movie, which was huge, won Oscars and whatnot, um, that's when Death Row kind of moved in and NWA started shifting. So you had people like Suge Knight entering and um, Dr. Dre left NWA and started moving with Suge Knight and the gangster rap on the West Coast, which NWA was from, started getting dominated with Death Row records. And we're talking, this is when you have Dre, Snoop, uh, Tupac and all of those individuals, okay? Now on the East Coast, you would have Wu-Tang Clan, uh, bad boy records and they were doing records together and there was like a very heavy and then you had J- uh, Nas, Jay-Z, all of them doing records together, all doing collabs. So if you bought somebody's record from the West Coast, all these West Coast rappers would be on it. You bought somebody's record from the East Coast. They literally had camps to a certain extent. Now, before Tupac joined Death Row Records, he was on the West Coast but he kept going over to the East Coast and he started aligning himself with an up-and-coming rapper called Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G. So he's doing all these shows with Biggie and he's putting Biggie on albums and he started working with them coming over to the, uh, the East Coast in New York. And they had a mutual friend, Stretch, and Puffy and all that. So at one point, though, um, Tupac was saying in interviews that there were some New York gangsters that were help funding Bad Boy Records. Now, this is Haitian Jack um, and, those, and that crew that he had, Jimmy Henchman. And these are legit dudes who have been in and out of jail and like for murders the whole night, FBI raiding their buildings, okay? So 
those guys were were helped. They were associated with Bad Boy Records. Uh, Tupac would say they were helped funding Bad Boy Records and were in business with them. We'd seen this kind of funny business with um, Murder Inc. in terms of Supreme backing Ja Rule and them, and that got raided by the FBI as well. Same thing happened with Death Row Records, raided by the FBI as well. So that was happening over there. Tupac was going over there and was partying with these guys and started to associate themselves, not just with Biggie and Puff, but with those gangsters. Now, these gangsters are legit. I mean, murders, triple homicides, like legit gangsters, not just rappers. They don't rap at all, as a matter of fact. They tried to have Tupac sign with them as well and tried to flex on them. And this is when the extortion thing happens in the rap game. And Tupac was like not having it and tried to fluff it off, push it off. Tupac ended up getting set up at the quad in 1994 at quad studios where he's going to meet Biggie for a song, walk through the doors in the quad in, in the lobby and gunmen were waiting for him as he's meeting Biggie and he got robbed, pistol whipped, shot because Tupac had a gun and was tried to pull it. And they shot him, grazed his head, hit him in the leg. He got shot five times. So his crew grabs Tupac, rushes him in the elevator. They get to the top of the elevator. This is famous. They get out of the elevator and you have Puffy, you got Biggie, you got like all of Junior Mafia and all those guys that were on Bad Boy Records all there. And Tupac came off the elevator and said, you guys set me up. How the fuck did those guys know I was coming? They knew I was coming. They were waiting for me inside the lobby. How the fuck did they know that? And he was like, it was the, and you guys are affiliated with those gangsters. So Tupac was actually facing a sexual assault trial, went to jail in New York. And in New York prison, this is where like you find out what's going on in the street. Everyone in the prison was like, you know who set you up, right? It was Haitian Jack. It was Jimmy Henchman. It was all those guys that are backing bad boy records. So Tupac's like either Biggie and Puff knew about it or they didn't know, but should have known or whatever the fuck. Like you, you were reckless with me. You know, you, whoever you told that I was coming over, however it went down, Suge Knight approached Tupac when he was in jail. There was a million dollar bond on Tupac. This is, we're all kids in high school hearing the story. Picture this, right? There's a million dollar bond. Suge Knight visits him, said, pays a million dollars, gets Tupac out of jail, out on bail. That's a fucking lyric. Out on bail, fresh out of jail, California dreaming. And Tupac goes back to LA and drops the song, hit him up. Ray fucking roast bad boy. Fuck Biggie. Fuck bad boy. Fuck you. If you want to be down with bad boy records, fuck you too. My fofo, make sure all your kids don't grow. Like all of that shit. Saying these guys shot me five times. Um, and it was on. So the rappers like Nas and Jay-Z picked the side of bad boy and East Coast. And all the West Coast rappers like Snoop Dogg and Dre and all them took Tupac's side. And that was the West coast, East coast beefs. And it was real, man. They were like, if they, there was, they showed up, but they did a couple of um, award shows and people ended up like meeting in parking lots, shootout happened and guys were killed on one side. In the end, um, Tupac obviously ended up getting gunned down. Biggie ended up getting done, gunned down. Some of the guys like uh, who were rapping on Tupac's albums, Yak got gunned down. Big stretch in New York, who was the mutual friend between Tupac and Biggie, ended up getting gunned down. I mean, there was like half a dozen of these guys got killed in this East Coast, West Coast beef. And um, and the FBI shows like there was hits being put out. 
that you weren't going to hear about, but there was like people who have come forward who said like, um, I'm the guy, you know, we, we took money to hit Tupac and it was Puff who put the money. Suge Knight put money to have the hit out on Biggie the whole time. And it was crazy. That was the East coast, West coast. That was the nineties hip hop. It would, you bought an album and they rapped. They, you know, you know, like rap albums, usually they talk about gunplay and it's just kind of random stories or they talk about a rap disc and it's usually a random story. You would buy an album and they talk about like when I set you up and shot you or, or like you're go blah, blah, blah. When this guy set me up and shot me, I know it was you, but it's real. You'd be like, this is wild. I'm going to buy, like, this is before the internet was had the songs. So you would buy the album, rush home. You didn't know what song was which. So you had to go through the album, listening to the story, be like, holy fuck, did you hear that? You listen to the song three, four times to, to be like, I think this is what he said. And you'd be like, it'd be like, this is like a movie. This is why 90s hip hop, when people hear about what's the big deal about 90s hip hop, why it's so an era, so to speak. It was why if you lived through it, Anybody who's listening to this, you tell me you've lived through an era of music where this was the case, where you're going to school and it's like, holy shit, man. Could you imagine though, if there was social media back then, like how <laughs> crazy that would have been? Like for real, like th that would have been like insane. Like, you know, cause now there's, there's beefs between musicians or athletes or whatever. And like, you know, there's a lot of shit talking, but this was like the ultimate amount of shit talking. Cause like, you know, they're putting it on albums out there. Like we were, like you just said, like, you know, the, the town I went to high school in, we had like a little music shop around the corner. You know, we basically get out of high school, run over there real quick before football practice or whatever. And we like, got to get the new CD, got to get the new single, whatever. And oh my God, it, it was such a crazy time. And it would like split your groups of friends too. Like, you know, my one buddy Craig was like a big East Coast guy. My one buddy Nick was a big West Coast guy. I know, it was crazy. Like, that was the case. So then we would, you know, fight over the, 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 um, you know, the CD player or the tape player in the locker room or whatever to put one on and be like, this is bullshit. I don't want to listen to this. I don't listen to, uh, or the weight room in the, in the, you know, oh, it was crazy, crazy. You, know, you have friends fighting over what to play because one's East Coast, one's West Coast. Yeah, it's nuts, man. But I remember um, there was a group of friends that like I hung out with that were when Tupac dropped, like hit him up, was like, fuck bad boy and all that. If and I mean my brother, like some of my buddies were into bad boy. I like Tupac was my my guy, but um, they would like make fun of us. Like, you fucking you guys like bad boy. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're not from the West Coast. Like, what are you talking? Like, who cares? But like they were, it was it was wild. It was like a team. It was like like if you're your team for like a sport and you're like you ride or die on their your team. Right. But for sure. um yeah, and it was like you would you would uh you, you weren't downloading albums, so you would like have to go to the store or you would have like a pre-order. Like I already gave him my money, so I'm picking it up on Monday when it, <laughs> it was fucking wild, man. Um and yeah, just dissecting it and going to school and hearing about the year so-and-so's in jail, year so-and-so got killed. And you're like, this is so crazy that this is actually happening. I remember when I was a kid, I remember thinking like, all right, I'm a kid listening to music and this is happening. Before me, did the kids in previous generations have this as well? Did they go to school and hear about shootouts and like, like Tupac fucking was outside of a club and shot two cops. Like he was like in shootouts every week you go to school. It would be like, like he got shot and lived. And like, it was like, is this real? I remember thinking, cause you're like 14 years old. You're like, I don't know. Is this the way it works? Do people's was Elvis Presley in shootouts with people sometimes? Like, I don't know. You know, you don't have, you didn't even have the internet to check up on it. And grown us be like, but then you would see it in the news and be like, no, nah, this isn't, this is wild. This is crazy. This was, 
NWA was crazy, but they were mostly lyrics. It wasn't like crazy shit going on. These guys just a few years later were like, hold my <laughs> fucking Glock 19. <laughs> I'm going in. And it was like, holy moly, man. Um, yeah, to the, the 90s. Do you remember what your first like parental advisory like album or song you heard? Doggy, I had an older brother and I got exposed to shit way too early. Like I was hearing songs about like fucking sucking dick and anal sex at like fucking grade four. And I didn't even know what it meant. I I was like, what does that even mean? What am I listening to? And it was, there was no, I don't even know how my brother, my brother's two, two years and like almost two and a half years older. I don't even know how he got it. I was in grade six, four. He was like in grade six. I remember taking the tape and playing it like it was a tape. Okay. I remember playing mm-hmm. it for my friends. I remember I brought it to um, summer camp and you were allowed to bring like a, like a tape to play. And I remember playing it for some of the kids, like you were in a, in like a cabin or whatever. And you had like a camp counselor who's like an older kid, but he's still a teenager. And I remember I was like, getting his vibe if he, if this older kid who's like 16 is quote unquote cool like can i play this shit around this guy is he gonna rat me out and because this was like this is wild dude when you're like grade five and you're breaking this out people are like what the fuck is this and i remember popping it in and some of the other kids are like holy shit i listened to mc hammer and i'm like nah dog that's not where it's at like this is because again this is before the internet dude yeah, I remember my buddy. I mean, you know, he like calls me up. It's like, yo, come over, whatever. Go over, go in his room. He locks the door. And he's got this, <laughs> you know, mix this tape that, you know, he didn't even buy it. It was, it was, um, you know, recorded off of someone else's, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, we it, did it was, um, two live crew. Oh, <laughs> no. I remember li- he pops it in, we listen to it. I'm like, I should not be listening. To this. I remember in my head, I, was like, I should not be listening to this. You know, like, you know, 10, 11 years old, whatever. Like, yeah. Um, but, but we also had a, uh, one of my buddy's dads would actually take us to the record store and buy us the parental advisory stuff later in life. Like, you know, when I was like 12, 13, 14, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah. And he would just be like, yeah, we want this. One. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, man. To an extent, parents, uh, you'd be a little naive because previous to that, songs would never get that bad. Like you'd be a little, like if you're a parent, if you're like, and remember that again, this is before internet, before social media, whatever. So you, you, like if you're a parent and you're like fucking 45 years old and you're like, I don't know who the hell any of these guys are. So you're like two live crew. Sure. Who are they? Well, they rap. Okay. Like right. MC Hammer. Yeah. Just like MC <laughs> Hammer and Vanilla Ice. Nothing, you know, so, and then you get home and they would have no idea. They're like, what's a parental advisory? I, I think he says shit a few times, like, you know, like it's, it's not a big deal. And your dad's going to be like, all right, well, look, at, we, we look at Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. How bad could it be? And they don't know, dude, it was like getting into like your uncle's playboys. It was freaking wild what they're talking about. You got a sexual education. Like, we'll, we'll see how Bill is with his kids. Like what if in, in like five years, like Bill's kids come to him like wanting his credit card to like you know buy some kind of some kind of cd online or something like that and it's gonna be parental advisory with the type of music there is now here's the thing man it's harder to get away well for that um because you could google it but on the flip side they can go around you well now yeah there's whatever phone they have they're, yeah they're probably yeah, they go around you. Right the house. spotify youtube <laughs> yeah there's nothing you could do about it like bill could like find out and f- figure out who it is easier but um <laughs> Yeah, it was freaking, uh, it was a whole nother enchilada. And who do you think, who do you, for the 90s, if I was to give you, if you, let's, let's do our top three. 
<laughs> who was your top three of the 90s rappers? And that's a fucking tough one. Let me remind you who was in there, though. Yeah. Okay. So, um, obviously, the aforementioned, like, like Jay-Z in the 90s, too, was killer. Uh, Jay-Z, Nas, killer. Um, all of Bad Boy, you got Biggie, Puff, whatever the shit. Snoop, Dre, and Snoop. Listen, when Snoop dropped this album, and obviously Snoop also was charged with murder. Like his, his bodyguard killed somebody and Snoop was charged. Like this was, this was the 90s, bro. You didn't flinch when somebody got charged with murder. But um, Snoop in the 90s, when What's My Name dropped, um, I think I was like grade seven. So you would have been a little bit younger, Bill. But oh my God, that was like a fucking monster when it dropped. East Coast to West Coast. Like that was a, a, a game changer. Obviously, Dr. Dre, Tupac, and all of the Death Row records. Um, yeah, the Ghetto Boys. Mine's playing tricks on me. And, and the Ghetto Boys are pretty big. They're coming out of Texas, uh, Fifth Wood, Texas. So um, the Ghetto Boys, uh, you know, too short. Near the end, in 98, Eminem dropped his album. He only got one album in the 90s. So if he's going to make a list, it's based off of one album. It's not one of his biggest albums, but it, it was big. Hi, my name is, was on there. And it's, it was good. It was a good album, but, uh, and it sold millions, but he's got one album in there, but he's still a nineties rapper. Which some people don't realize fucking he's still around now. Right. You guys say crazy. Um, let me think of anybody else in the nineties. I know some people are going to fucking hit me up, but in terms of big names, like you got other people like big L, et cetera, but those are some of the bigger names off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I mean, Tupac was always at the top for me. I loved, loved, loved. Same Tupac. dude. Yeah, he was always the top for me. Um, I mean, Biggie was great. I didn't love love him. I mean, his music's great, right? I mean, but like, yeah. again, he, I guess he, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, <laughs> it just didn't, even, I mean, I guess, I mean, yeah, but now I'm like, I hear it on the radio. I'm like, I know, I know. You don't like, listen to the radio. I'm sitting in a car listening to the radio. It still, <laughs> it still kills it though. Oh, man. Um, I'll tell you one though. It's like an, a little obscure one that I used to listen to all the time. Me and my buddies with Master P. Oh yeah. Oh, um, fuck yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was, he was more, you know, it wasn't a super popular one, but definitely a little more obscure, but um, you know, make him say, uh, and like, oh man. Yeah. Was, you know, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Master P was absolutely huge. Yeah. All of a uh, no limit. Um, little Wayne was around in the nineties too, which is pretty crazy. Ice cube. Oh, geez, uh, yeah, naughty I'll, by I'll nature. See. Naughty yeah, by cube. nature. Uh, Wu Tang was was fucking good. Wu Tang Clan man was what nothing yeah. to fuck with. Yeah, but I think I mean Tupac for me is definitely number one, and then there's probably a bunch of on that next level of twos for me, you know, kind of thing. Um, and you same thing for you. You say you're like uh, you're a Tupac guy. Um, well, okay, I'm gonna give my picks. Let me let me let Arian jump in there. Actually, did um I think at the very end DMX dropped his first album in '98 as well. And DMX, it's dark and hell is hot. And DMX was a monster uh, when he came. Rest but, in peace. Uh, R.I.P. Man, I can't fucking. Yeah, but like, him, like him and Eminem, again. like they're more of like 2000s guys That's for right. me. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, cause yeah, again, one or two albums, you know. But like, like even yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'll, I'll agree with you. Go ahead, Darian. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's a, like a mix for a blend for me as well, cause like. I was born in 88, so I didn't listen to a lot of 90s hip-hop in the 90s. I listened to it, like, more, like, early 2000s. So it was a mix of, like, yeah, Eminem, Tupac, Biggie, Nas, DMX, and lest you guys forget, the Beastie Boys. So, <laughs> yeah, for, no, for me, L Beastie Boys, Fuji's, L and LL Cool J. Let me drop yeah, those guys uh, in there. Coolio, Gangster's Paradise. Amen. 
So, so for me, it was like maybe probably number one would also be Tupac. Number two would be Biggie. Number three, I got to put in there Nas. Everyone else was like one-off songs. Like, you know, maybe a few songs from Snoop Dogg, maybe a few songs from like De La Soul or Coolio or Ice Cube, but not like, you know, multiple albums. For yourself, yeah. Like for them, they, they those guys were monsters, all of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like for, yeah, for yourself, I mean, if you're picking. I really, you know, I, I really like Nas, so I had to put him in at three. That's fair, dog. He's he had he had an album that was five mics in the source. Yeah, so like at the time, I mean, I, I liked Cube, yeah, but I actually liked him more after he became an actor. If that makes sense, like yeah, we go back and listen to it again and actually enjoyed it more um, after, you know. In, isn't it funny? How, two, two, yeah, isn't it funny how that happens? And and that's happened to me too. I don't know if with with Cube or, um, but almost like when you see the other side of him. And you see A's like fucking, he's in like hilarious movies where he's like full on funny. And he's like, not just the tough, like initially he was just a tough guy when he went over, but then he started doing movies and he is versatile. You see him in interviews and he's like a dad and he's like a good guy now. And like, then you double back and you're like, let me give him a little more attention now. And you actually take someone in where previously you kind of skip through the album. Be like, all right, I'll, the songs that I heard on the radio, I like, but I'm not going to go through his album piece by piece. But then sometimes like Ice Cube, I was always into, but that's happened to me for other artists too, which is weird where I actually go back and give them more of a chance after I like them for a different reason. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Cube, Cube is up there. Um, yeah. LL Cool J, Mama Said Not nah, Cube, it was a. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to mention that one too. That was like Forget about one it. of the first like <laughs> rap songs that I, you know, it was like, oh shit, this is, this is okay. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Forget about it. And, um, and yeah, Dr. Dre and them. But if, so if I'm honest, it's funny that we're all going Tupac. I'm going to say the number one rapper from the nineties for me is, uh, is Tupac as well. And, um, when I look at like, you guys, you guys probably see now people are starting to wear the bandana. Like Tupac did like Steffi Cohen's got her, where's the bandana like that too. <laughs> And um, I remember she wore the bandana like that. And Jesus, uh, uh, her husband's name just Hayden um, <laughs> just says to her, hey, what's up, Tupac? And she's like, huh? <laughs> and he goes, what's up, Tupac? And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, dude, that is how Tupac wore his band. Don't tell me. And then, so she was like, she posted on social media. She goes, I actually had no idea that's Tupac. And I was like, I reposted a King of Lifts. I'm like reposting Tupac. Cause I'm almost like, it was 50, 50. If there's a picture of Tupac, he was wearing a bandana like that. Like, I mean, he could, he could be in court with charges of murder charges and, and he would have his bandana. Like, like this dude was, you know, but, um, it's funny how like Tupac really was like a mold that other rappers in other generations tried to emulate because he was the dude who like died in his prime. People talk about one of these days we got to like, we're going to hold our ground with the cops. Like this dude was like out, like getting in, in shootouts with cops because he saw some cops like harassing some guy on the side of the street. And he's like, fuck this. And he was like the dude who was like in and out of prison and he got shot and survived, came back, shot other people. And then, you know, people were getting killed back and forth. Like he was like, it was crazy. And he was so unique and charismatic and like flamboyant in terms of like, in terms of his um, interviews, man, when he talked, he didn't talk like most guys talk though. He like would show up and was like giving like, he's like preaching, but he's so fucking passionate as well, man. So like, he's so charismatic um, that, and for him to get snuffed out in his prime like that. Um, and he, and it was weird because um, when Tupac died, the same thing happened to him that happened to other famous people previously, like Elvis, where people were like, I don't think he's dead. He's not. Dead. Oh yeah. 
If I mean, like, it's weird. Like all these years later, people like, okay, yeah, he's dead. But I like, I'm not joking. This is before like internet was very new. Social media is around. Bill, you'll remember. People legitimately thought Tupac oh, was yeah. in Cuba, faked his death to him. He here's let, let me let me tell you what the story is here, Ari, because this is gonna sound weird. Like, why? Come on, thirty years later, right? It's like, yes, he's dead. But listen, before he died, he changed his name to Machiavelli, <laughs> called it the Seven Day Theory out of nowhere, and the executive producer to his and and he's there's no reason for him done any of this. The executive producer for Machiavelli, I think his name was Simon. And there was no such thing. And it was always Dr. Dre or actual person, but there was no Simon in real life. And then he was shot. And I think he was shot. And then within like six days later, he died. But if you clued the one day, someone that said something about <laughs> like the seven day theory, Machiavelli faked his death to evade his enemies. And Tupac was like, had, had, he, had he had hits out on him and everyone knew about his common knowledge. He had to evade his enemies. And um, because he was already getting shot and then changing his name to Machiavelli before he got shot. And then the executive producer, Simon, didn't actually exist. It was another fake name. And Simon, someone was talking about. I remember at the time, there's like folklore of who Simon was helped uh, cover a crime of somebody faking their own death again. There's so many clues in it. It was ridiculous. And then there was pictures of him when he was actually in Cuba, but he was vacationing there. But people were like, look at this fucking picture. And people <laughs> right. would put like people who were, who, anyways. Uh, and by, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I thought you were going to say it's one of those people that after they die, they almost become more popular. Like, you know, everyone starts listening to them they, more. No, they, start they, release, they start releasing like other music that he didn't have released yet. Then you have them on remixes and everything like that. So he like no, blew up afterwards. Dog. So um, he was crazy famous before he died. After he died, like he was, his album was like sold 5 million in like a few months. Like he was, he was crazy famous. After he died, that album went on and sold like another 10. And then he was recording so nonstop in his trailer. Like he recorded like 300 songs unreleased. He dropped like 10 more albums after he died. Unheard. Not remixed though, Arian. After mean, he died. After From he Cuba. Died, that's it. No, like, like the thing is though, my man, he had had 10 more albums unheard before, not remixes. And people like, what the fuck? And they were like, well, he recorded a lot before he died. He died at 25 and he would already recorded five studio albums. How often was he recording? And they're like, well, he was recording all the time. They're like, this sounds suspicious. <laughs> you know, like what the hell? And here's another thing that was weird. Biggie died after Tupac. And the what people are saying is um, Suge Knight actually put money on Biggie to be killed. So that was a retaliation. Then Biggie died six months later. An album got released on one of Tupac's songs with Stretch, who also was killed. Like, they all fucking died. So he was murdered and shot to death as well. Actually, on the one-year anniversary to the quad shooting that Tupac was set up on, one year to the day, Stretch was found dead. Um, coincidence? Who knows, right? But um, he, he was... Uh, Tupac and, and Stretch had an album on one of Tupac's albums, and they're saying R.I.P. to Biggie Smalls. Rest in peace to my man Biggie Smalls. It's called God. The song is called God Bless the Dead. And it is, and they're talking about him being murdered. <laughs> and it is like, what the fuck? And then I remember one of my buddies, like, yeah. And I'm like, dog, Tupac died before Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, and they're like, then how did they know? So then when that was asked, 
some of the people in the back were like, oh, there's also another guy that they had a mutual friend called Biggie Smalls. I'm like, really? There was two Biggie Smalls? Two Biggies? You called him Biggie and Biggie Smalls and you called the rapper Biggie and Biggie Smalls and you all knew each other? Just by coincidence. It sounded like a bullshit excuse. It sounded like the lamest excuse. We have another guy called Aaron Messi Kamesi. How many Messi Kamesis do you have? Well, we got two of them in our crew and they both got killed. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. So it seemed weird when you're like 17 hearing this and you're like, ah, this is fucking wild. The guy was, uh, so then Tupac became like legendary, man. He didn't go away. And, and I, I think a lot of people put them both at the top and maybe some people will like Biggie more than Tupac. But I feel like part of the reason why a lot of people like Tupac more than Biggie is while they're both like great rappers. People always say like Biggie made you think more when you listen to his lyrics. And Tupac like got to your heart more. He made you feel yeah. more. Like he said, he got you all emotional. He got you all yeah. riled up. And so naturally you're like, oh man, I really like these songs. And, and you like, you like the, the rapper because of it more. I, it, you fucking hit the nail right on the head. When Tupac rapped, he would accentuate words. He'd be like, we come through. When the, he'd be like, he would stretch a word and give it. And uh, Biggie was more like rapid fire and really high end. Look at it. I don't know if you guys, anyone listening, if you have the opportunity to watch, I think it's called, I got a story to tell. It's a documentary on Biggie that just came out on Netflix. <laughs> Fucking phenomenal documentary. I got buddies who are not into rap and they watched that documentary and like, that was good. And the good thing about that one too, done to death is the Biggie versus Tupac angles. This documentary does not do that to death. It's mostly on Biggie. They obviously have to touch up on Tupac. You can't tell the Biggie story without talking Tupac, vice versa. But um, it's far more about Biggie and he has a, like, he talked about, he grew up, he would come around an old jazz guy's house and the guy was like in a jazz band playing jazz music. And he was mentoring Biggie saying, and Biggie was asking him about when he's playing the drums. He's like, why do you hit that there? The hi-hat, whatever he goes, I hit the hi-hat to accentuate. So I'm hitting this drum, but I'm hitting the hi-hat to accentuate every other beat to give it some flow. So, and he was explaining the flow. Like I just said how Tupac would drag out words and hit different. Um, Biggie started doing it like that. And they actually showed in the documentary, the jazz master, like hitting the fucking, hitting the drums and hitting the highway, accentuating. And he said, Biggie would be taking notes. And then they showed Biggie rapping and damned if he didn't punctuate like a like a drum like a like it's certain points like high low like that and that's where he sounded way different and the jazz guy's like man the guy is a fucking some people are just musically inclined that's what like you know some people teach themselves how to play the guitar teach themselves biggie was like musically inclined but he's a rapper and he's like i'm picking this up i'm gonna start applying and whatever that's how he came unique and he's a fucking monster on the mic it's always just crazy to me how like how these guys like find each other and come together and then they split out to become these like your enormous, you know, obviously with like, you know, uh, with, with Puffy and Biggie, um, where Craig Mack didn't turn into be the star they thought he was going to be, but then like, Still. you know, the, the, the Biggie with, uh, with little Kim and like, you know, like, yeah, they're all like just related almost. And then they pop out to be like, and you would never know, from where they are now that they were together at some point right yeah like i mean if you if you didn't know nwa you wouldn't be like oh dr dre and ice cube were once you Easy know boys on the like yeah. right right you know um and then obviously yes it's just you know and then tupac started with um digital underground yeah. um 
and you know Humpty just passed away. Yeah, but, like you know, you see him in like this ridiculous thing that this guy's wearing like, these glasses with this big nose, you know, and his you know raccoon skin hat rapping, and then like you're like, oh, see that guy over there? He's gonna become the biggest star of this decade. Yeah. If not ever, you know, in the rap game kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just weird how they just they find these guys, they bring them up and they push them off and they're like, you know, become these massive, massive stars. It's it's crazy. How they how they originated together. Like you guys like it's I know what you mean we're in all the fucking world. How did you guys all end up in the same neighborhoods or the same how'd you all stumble across each other? It's almost I heard another nineties, not rap, but rock music in terms of uh nirvana. And the drummer goes off and ends up doing uh, Foo Fighters and like, okay, Nirvana obviously came to an abrupt end. And, and um, so he starts up Foo Fighters and they're just as big as Nirvana ever was. And they're continuing on. And it's like, it's, and now it's their drummer who ended up becoming the lead singer, David Grohl. And yeah. um, it's like, Frank, man, some people are just, you get to, you put together a band. Well, like, you want to talk about super bands, like the Beatles were, they could break up and, all of them start making smash records right. where sometimes you have a band, one person leaves like destiny's child leaves and everybody else is pretty much hurt. And Kelly Rowland had a hot minute, but like it was mostly Beyonce. Whereas there are other bands where they're all five Beyonce's they're all five. Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson leaves the Jackson five. They're done. But there are some mega bands, some mega groups where like, that's when you got, it's very rarely, but they're all that talented. And um, very rarely will that happen, man. Rolling Stones or whatever the shit, right? There's a, actually, there's a really great um, Foo Fighters documentary. And they talk about how Dave Grohl, um, when he started up the Foo Fighters, and before they became huge, he almost just got rid of it because Tom Petty asked him to go be the drummer for hit for the – Oh, wow. Um, um, was it Tom Petty Heartbreakers? Yeah. And um, he literally almost – he was like, I got to do this. It's Tom Petty. How can I not do this? Yeah. And luckily he stayed with it. And then he brought in uh, the bassist from the um, Nirvana also. And like, you know, they ended up becoming, you know, this huge, huge, huge thing, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like how they're all just intermingled and like, you know, okay, well, yeah, we don't like this guy. So let's get rid of him and let's trade him. And we're going to, it's, it's almost like sports almost, right? You're like taking a guy from a different team and like, okay, well, they just broke up, you know, so let's just try to grab this guy. He's a free agent now. You know? It's a, yeah. It's like the like, what's the likelihood that the greatest singer is going to actually link up with the greatest drummer or the greatest, like, right. and it'll happen. Like in all the <laughs> world, how did you guys find each other? And are you just good because you're together? Like, well, maybe they're the greatest because they complement each other. No, but we split them up afterwards and they didn't need each other either. That's what, that's when it's like, holy shit. Right. You know, like Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, like one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best receivers of all time, you know, and they split apart and like they ended up not being as great, you know, apart from each other. But still, like, you know, you have the, those groups like that, like, yes, they do complement each other a ton, um, but sometimes they can accomplish the stuff apart from each other, like you're saying, though. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that's just a crazy industry. And then, of course, you can have like, you know, a band like Journey, right? Where like they bring in this super young guy who, you know, I mean, they're an old band from the friggin' 80s, and they, they find a guy who won a karaoke contest that sounds like their lead singer to come in and be their new headman. No shit, that did it work? Craziest thing. With the end, they, yeah, the, it sounds great. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the stories that it worked opposite. So, do you guys remember the Commodores and Lionel Richie? Yeah. Um, Arian, did you? 
I know who Lionel Richie is. I never, I have never listened to the Commodore. So that's makes this, this, that actually sets up my point perfectly. So Lionel <laughs> Richie, obviously super famous, Nicole Richie's dad, but absolutely super famous. So many hit records. And before he made it big, he was with, well, they, they made it big together with the Commodore. So, but everybody knew he was the guy with the Commodores. So when he decided I'm leaving the Commodores going on my own, it was like Justin Timberlake leaving NSYNC. Everyone's like, well, you are far more talented than everyone else. You're going to be fine, but they're probably fucked, right? Um, but it's inevitable. This is what happens in music period. Beyonce, JT, you just leave and do your thing and you, you do, it is what it is. Um, so he left and the Commodores were like, fuck, is this it for us? <laughs> we are not, we are not Lionel Richie. So they're kind of looking around like, all right, well, let's do one last stand. And they wrote Night Shift. That Marvin on the night shift. And uh, that song ended up being the biggest Commodores single ever, including anything they ever did with Lionel Richie. Never again did they sell millions of records, but damned if they didn't get together for one last hurrah, write one fucking classic song that absolutely murdered and is now like one of the top selling songs of all time. And um, Lionel Richie was like, God damn. All right, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> right, good. Hats <laughs> off to you. You did it. You pulled it off. Um, I mean, it wasn't Lionel ended up having a much more celebrated career, but they had one more in them before it was over. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's usually more the case is, um, you know, you can't have like super bands are relatively rare. And it's difficult to keep a band together for a long time. These guys end up a lot of times hating each other by the time they're like 10 years on the road together. You got bands who will, won't even talk like Simon and Garfunkel. I heard they won't even talk to each other. <laughs> it is what yeah, it I is. Mean, that, that lifestyle of like, you know, cause when you start off, you got no money, you got nothing. You're just basically in a car in a bus, whatever, driving around the country, playing a show, you know, three, four shows a, a week or whatever it is. And like, you know, staying in crummy hotels. And it's not until you actually make something that you actually can afford to be more luxurious with your travel and that kind of stuff. When you actually go on like a real tour and not just like a, you know, podunk, like, you know, let's hop in the old uh, VW bus and go for it kind of. Yeah, yeah. You know? well, um, so, yeah. So they're just together 24 seven, basically. 24 seven like, dog. Yeah. And like when you're, when you're partying, you're together. When you're hungover and tired as fuck, you're together. If you're in a hotel constantly, on the road constantly, never home. And after like year one, cool. Year two, okay. Three, year four, year five. Now you're you're not seeing your girl. You're not seeing your family. You're not seeing, and there's this fucking guy again. Every day you wake up when you're in a good mood, when you're in a bad mood, when you're over and over. And then eventually year 10, you're like, I can't fucking stand and look at this guy. <laughs> you're like, and then throw money in the mix and it's like i'm sorry i'm the drummer but the guitarist is being paid more because he's up front i'm right. sorry though but the drum sets the beat and then or vice versa the guitarist is like i got you the drum sets the beat but i'm the guy out front i'm the guy with the fucking solo everyone stands with their lighters to and it becomes he's getting paid more or and then or the singer's like i'm the fucking front man though don't I get paid more? Cause I could go solo. Can you guys replace me? And it becomes that when money's involved, everything changes. Um, so then add on money and then tempers get even shorter. And then you see each other day in, day out, et cetera. You guys see the Motley Crue um, movie. It's not a documentary. It's an actual movie. And Machine Gun Kelly actually plays um, Tommy Lee. It's I listen, I'm, 
It's a fucking really good movie. It's on Netflix, <laughs> I believe. It's actually good. And Machine Gun Kelly can actually act and does a good job in it. And the reviews, this isn't just me. The reviews were like, this is a good movie. And I'm not, I wasn't a huge Motley Crue guy, but it's a good movie, man. I've seen them in concert a couple of times. <laughs> oh, this, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, like, so they, I mean, they'll do those old, like, um, you know, 80s, you know, get together. So they'll do like, you know, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Gun, um, and like uh, Poison or like together. Yeah. You know, they'll, you know, uh, at one of those like uh, outdoor venues or something like that. So I've seen those a couple of times and like, they're just, it's so ridiculous. Cause like the people that show up to these things are just amazing. Cause like they still have that. <laughs> Like, yeah, you, know, you can only wear the acid wash jeans once a year. So you might yeah. as well wear it to, to <laughs> yeah, the concert. And, uh, oh, it's so great. It's so great to see people in their, you know, 50s now, you know, pretending they're still like 16 years old again. Dude, let me tell you something about the power of music, okay? There was a guy who was, um, he, I forget what disease it was. I think like they were talking about it on a podcast. It might have even Joe Rogan was talking about it. But there are diseases that start shutting you down. And um, I think Robert De Niro even played um, one of these individuals in one of these movies where you get shut down more and more. Half of it's a mental, but it's also physical. And you start turning into a vegetable, okay? And this guy was like near the end on that. And then his wife brought him to a concert and he's a hardcore, like it was one of the 80s bands. Shows up to that concert and damned if for the first time in like six months, she hadn't seen him actually start showing some signs, moving his head a little bit. Like he acknowledged something. And she's like, what the fuck? Go home. She's now playing the music on and his movements and acknowledging smaller and smaller, but more and more. Starts going, being like, there's something going on here with the music. It's just like music. It, it means something. Buy tickets following these guys on tour all over the US and they're on a fucking tour with these guys and she's bringing them in the wheelchair. And eventually this guy's like, now he's back into it alive in the wheelchair. Doesn't have full use, but he's cognitive. He's talking and it's like a huge turnaround. And like the music, man, it's something, man. I, I can't explain it. When you throw on a song, I can go from okay day to... I'm going to smash some weights and I can't, it's, it's real, man. The adrenaline starts going. It's all about, I don't know what it is, what it taps into, but there's some kind of response that people have to music. It can fucking yeah, change mean, your day. The mem I mean, yeah, but works both ways too. Right. I mean like the memories attached to different stuff and mm. different bands and different songs and like, you know, mm. different people in your life. You're like, Oh shit. I can't believe I just heard that. Like, I know. Like, oh, damn. You like go back 25 years of your life. You're like, oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And it just kind of puts you back there for a hot second. You're like, what is going on? Like, I love that. I know you mean, I know you mean where uh, you'll hear a song that you were bumping one summer. And maybe that summer you were younger and you were with like that girl or that crew of guys that you don't hang out with every day anymore, whatever it was. And that, that was that anthem for that summer. We all got every summer, there's some song, yeah. right? And it, it'll bring you back and be like, fuck man, I'm catching feelings right now. Like uh, that happens for <laughs> sure. Or there was a song that was like your song with you and somebody. And you know, if there's that shit happens all the time is music is like that. I was going to say, what were you jamming to when you just competed? Oh, I don't listen to music when I compete. When I lift, I don't listen to music. What's Do you listen to music you? when you train? No. Oh, no shit. Yeah, never never have yeah never have um so i mean there was music on the meat but it was just like you know 
yeah, probably yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Gino mix or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I, I've never, never had like earphones in when I, when I train. Have you, uh, why is that? It just never did, man. It just doesn't yeah. interest me. It, uh, what I find like I can actually, it can make a huge difference better than any pre-workout or anything. If I I'll keep it for like a top set, I'll hit a song that when we just talked about where it gets me somewhere, I hit that. And like, I'm telling you things are moving and I get where people are, um, like when you go to a competition, um, you, you can't have music, so don't get used to it. Yeah, but also though, it's just kind of like having a mirror or something where it's like, well, you shouldn't have mirrors around because you're not going to have mirrors in the competition. Yeah, but if I can correct myself in comp while I'm training, my form is on point. You know, things develop when you don't see them, if you're not monitoring them. Um, yeah. And then when I'm there that day, you're just on autopilot anyways, man. The adrenaline's going. You're not, if there even there was a fucking mirror in front of you, you wouldn't notice. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. But just get me through training to to keep me on point. Same thing with like if I have music. What I find anyways is um, if I can just there because meet day, I have no worries about adrenaline going through my body. Trust me, I'm going to be keyed up. But day in day out, it's a fucking Tuesday, just a regular Tuesday. Of for the umpteenth time, we're gonna deadlift, <laughs> and we've been doing this day in, day out, week in, week out. We are that band on tour, and me and squats are having a full on out right now. Okay, so if <laughs> I gotta throw a song on, I'm gonna do it, it'll get us through. We're gonna play our jam. He puts but, his um, Justin Bieber jam on. Hey, can I say <laughs> something? Can I say something? Because yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to bring this up, and I needed a segue and a soft segue, and you just gave it to me. Um, I I took. Uh, I took my nephew to the Justin Bieber documentary. Like, fuck, this came out like a long ass time ago. Like, I mean, 10 years ago or more. Do you guys remember that? He had a documentary come out and um, all right, we're playing this game. No. I've seen it, but okay, fine. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now, but I can look it up. Yeah, he's seen probably it. called Belieber or some shit. Yeah, I mean, but you guys are, you guys seen it though, but we'll do this. I've never uh, seen definitely it. Not. Definitely not. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> But I remember taking him and my God, is Justin Bieber fucking crazy talented like you don't know. When he was like, he was like eight years old. He was in a, an adult band playing drums. I mean, like these guys are like 32 year old men with an adult band and they had to like sign releases to bring them on to like play in certain places. And he was, they showed video of him murdering it. He could, he could self-teach himself, like play drums, guitar, just a musical freak. He had a guitar laid out on, like in front of him on a table and was playing it sideways, just doo -doo 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 -doo, messing around. But he was like killing it. And it's like this dude, like he's just so musically inclined. And he was a child doing all this. So musically inclined. It came so easy for him. You should see him on the freaking drums. And they're like, who taught you? You're a child. And he's like, I taught myself. It's just, you know, and he doesn't know. He just like, this is just the way it is for him. He didn't, he had, he wasn't famous yet. So he had no barometer of just how good he was. And when they brought him in front of like a talent agent, this is going on in the documentary, the talent agent was like, it wasn't just that he could sing, because he could sing, but it was how fearless this kid was that he, like I could throw him in front of 20,000 people. And when you're 13 years old and there's 20,000, you, you're 13 years old and you go in a room full of adults, period. Kids get shy. We all, we've seen it a million times. How many kids will get shy? And they're like, why don't you go say hi to so-and-so? And the kid's all shy because there's a room full of people he doesn't know. And they're all adults. This kid will go in front of 20,000 people. And that's when they just can't perform like they, they usually do if they're alone in the studio. And the guy's like, I swear to God, 99% of the time, Justin Bieber like plays better with 20,000 and he's a fucking kid. 
And he's like, that's when you knew, like, we're going to make a lot of money off this kid. So they put him out there and he's not just doing it. Okay. He's killing it. And the girls in the crowd are going nuts. And everybody was like, I can't believe this is happening. And they're like, we're about to print a lot of money, gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) We're about to print a lot of money. Uh, It's talented. I I forgot he's Canadian. No wonder you love him so much. (laughs) Yeah, right. There it is. Well, yeah, he is Canadian, but I heard he's not very very nice though. (laughs) Ah, well, Bill, you go ahead. I'll double back on that. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna ask, who's your favorite Canadian rapper of okay. all time? Um, <laughs> Justin Bieber. <laughs> well, Drake is no, no, no. It's probably Drake. Drake is fucking phenomenal. I mean, uh, it's probably gonna be Drake. But there, we don't, we don't have a shitload of rappers, man. You remember um, Snow? Wasn't he Canadian? Yeah, he was remember Snow. <laughs> you know, Tom Green's Canadian. He was in a rap group, eh? You guys uh, know Tom Green? I mean, I know Tom Green's Canadian. I didn't know he was in a rap group. He yeah. rapped briefly in his album. He had one single that was actually on the radio. And in like Canada, as a joke? No, it was real. It was, <laughs> he was like 19. He was a teenager. And he yeah. actually came through as a rapper first. Um, I mean, it was that's, all right, but it's like, he's talented. He's, he's, he's like, you know, when you're confident, you could pull off a lot of things. He was good enough that he could pull it off, but he wasn't going to yeah. be, he wasn't, you know, but he was, he's a performer. <laughs> he could read the crowd. But um, for the JT situation, you're saying, Arian, with you know why I read a study about for these kids that become famous when they're like, I, I, sorry, I didn't read a study. I was listening to a podcast. They're talking about it. Um, they're talking about same these thing. people. Yeah, same thing. Same thing, but it's science. Um, these, these people who get famous when they're kids almost always have severe mental disorders later on, like depression, et cetera, because the highs you get, like 20,000 people, et cetera, like just... And I mean, insane highs, endorphin highs, the whole nine, adrenaline highs, literally physically and chemically later on. And this is before you're an adult. So you're not fully grown yet and fully developed yet. When you become an adult, it actually fucks up your ability to create endorphins, et cetera. And those kind of like, even if you're doing the same thing and you're, you're not old, you're still like 22, but you still, you can't for some reason. They actually looked into it and said, if that happens at a certain age when you're still developing and you have too many extremes and your body's releasing all these uh, endorphins and adrenaline too early like that, later on, you actually will have issues, chemically speaking, releasing those. And so it acts scientific. They're like, why are so many of these rock stars, even child actors or whatever, a lot of them end up fucked up. And they're like, oh, it's just because ego. It's just because, well, that as well as though, they literally chemically can't do it anymore. There's a dependency. They actually will be need to be on medication and level amount. It isn't just coincidence that almost all of them end up fucked up. I also think like a 12 year old making millions of dollars is probably yeah. not a healthy thing for a kid either. I mean, obviously it's amazing. Like I wish I could do that, but like, you know, I mean, there's all those, like you hear all those story, horror stories about like kids and their parents and like, you know, yeah. mismanaging money and this, and that, whatever it is. And like, you know, it's just, you know, yeah, it can't be can't be easy for sure. They they but again, yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say, but then they get paid they get paid to do it, so it's not like you know how much is your mental sanity worth? I guess for some of them, I didn't know the weekend was born in Canada. Yeah, yeah, he is, dog. dude. There's a lot of Canadians that you wouldn't think are because see, when something gets big, people just automatically start assuming they're American. I've yeah. talked to people. It, it's just like you said, there there aren't that many Canadian rappers, and your go to is always Drake. Yeah, well, I mean, but, but he's a massive go-to, though, so he's a tough one. But there's a lot of people who are like, um, 
Oh, I didn't know he's Canadian. That happens all the time. Oh, I had no idea that guy was Canadian. That girl was Canadian. Like a lot of people are, people tell me all the time, like, oh, I just, you know, I assumed you're American. Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're such an asshole? Because I'm a fucking <laughs> ass. Because I'm a gun-toting goddamn American. Um, but uh, yeah, I was going to, oh, in terms of like, yeah, you're you're right, Bill, when you're saying like some of these kids, some of them straight up have to, Div- like not divorce their parents but uh i think yeah. the word is but essentially they're divorcing their parents and they sue their parents like you know Macaulay like britney Culkin, spears britney spears macaulay Culkin, look at you put too much money out there and it becomes it's tough man and it's it's tough to bounce back this happens like right across the board with like actors and musicians but um and it is it's like they said where you think there's a quote that i shared you think your life would be better if you got everything you wanted because you want it. You think about it and you want it. If I had millions of dollars, if I had anything I wanted and the, and the philosopher's like, I promise you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be happier. The fact that you struggle and sometimes get what you want makes you appreciate and it means something then. But once you got everything you wanted, then nothing means anything. And that's when you run into the loop of the Biebers where they never are happy because nothing means anything at some point. They're talking about that with Michael Jackson where he would he would be like, I want, um, I want a fucking uh, a giraffe in my backyard. And I want, they would do it though. They'd be like, bring in the fucking giraffes, man. I don't know, fuck it. More Michael wants giraffes now. I want... You know, I'm going to take the next month off. I'm going to fucking Spain and all right, I'll get him his five star and he's going to Spain. But the thing is when me and you go to Spain for two weeks and we're in a much shittier five star, we are fucking loving it. And oh, this is all inclusive. Wow. We're like fucking throwing off five pounds in a week and drinking booze. And like, you let me out of economy and put me in business. Are you kidding me, man? I'm going to be, you know what I mean? So um, that, bit of struggle, you know, actually makes like, you can't, you have no idea. Sweet tastes sweet. If everything was sweet, you have to have a mouthful of bitter. And all of a sudden now I have a contrast and that sweet is sweet. And don't let me have sweet whenever the fuck I want it. Give it to me every now and then in doses. And now I'm like, fuck, here we are. The weekend's here. You know, ah, it's fucking payday. You know, these mean something. And that's where it becomes weird where you think your life would be better. And even though I know this, if you told me, do you want 50 million? I'll give it to you. Do you want a billion? I'll take it to you. I'll fucking take it. How weird is that though? And I'm being serious. Like, even though I told you guys that, and you guys know this, like, do you guys, either one of you guys dispute it? Or do you think that's probably sounds like logic? No, I mean, listen, I was talking, I was literally talking to somebody about this same thing like this weekend at, at the competitions and he was like all the stuff that you told me 10 years ago about lifting blah, blah blah whatever you know i'm finally starting to listen to and and it's you know helping my health whatever it is he's like even though i know you were right back then i still would do it the same way because that's how you know that's the journey i wanted to go on kind of thing and yeah. do it a specific way so like even though you know it's going to be wrong you're still going to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. You know, you know what I mean? That's just like, that's just the way we're wired. Like, no, you know, no one wants to listen to somebody that has 
more knowledge because they've been there and done it because, well, you're not going to do it the same way I did it. So, you know, that's kind of thing. Like we have the hardest time is taking advice to heart and actually listening to people. Right. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, you're talking about, you know, I'm going to give you a billion dollars and you're going to feel miserable, whatever it is. It doesn't, it could be the littlest thing, could be the biggest thing. We just don't want to listen. We think we got it all figured out. Yeah, 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 yeah. We uh, always think we got it figured you'll out. You'll always uh, listen. You, we're never right. going to get over that. Doesn't or, matter. No, I'm not going to be like Ryan. There's no way I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, you tell exactly. Me I'm not going to be like Arian. There's no way that's going to that's going to happen. Or like, like give, let me be famous, young. I won't end up like Bieber. Trust me. Right. Yes, you're, exactly. Yes, you right. will. Yes, you will. No, I know exactly. it is. It's true. You will fucking. And you know how many times people have um, won the lottery and they said it ruined my life and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's, I, I don't care how many times I hear that story. I don't care if, if a billion dollars, like if everything I already know about why life is so precious, because like, there's like, there's tons of quotes where like the reason why you, you, every, every moment is a moment and you sit around and appreciate it because you only have so many moments. The reason why, you know, everything I've already said is because of scarcity, right? Including your time. And even though I would know all this, you fucking put a billion dollars and say, do you want a billion? Then there's no such thing as scarcity at all. Everything is open. Even though I know it. And they're like, look, you're, you could ruin your, like everything. You meet a girl, you'll never know if it's because of you or like, nothing's pure anymore. Nothing's pure anymore. In friends, family, fights happen because money's involved now. So all these things are now in question. And this is, even though you know that, you got to take that fucking money. <laughs> you, every, all of us will. All yeah. three of us will. Arian, yeah. you taking that money, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But I also wonder if you add on top of that, the for these celebrities, like what they have to go through, like when they're on tour and stuff like that and all the meat and everything like that, how many like average people can survive that? If they said like, hey, you automatically became a celebrity overnight. You know, you made a million dollars off of crypto or a billion dollars off of crypto. And now you'd like, you know, do all these shows and everything. Or if you just became a singer, it's like, you have to go to like this city tonight, do this concert, then do this media thing, go to this after party, then like go to sleep, wake up in the morning, do it all over again, another city. And just like, you know, hop from city to city doing that. And like, that's your entire life. It's just like doing concerts, doing media. You can't go anywhere. Like I say, you want to go to Spain? Everyone knows you're in Spain. Everyone's like, yeah. come, come and take your photo and everything like that. Like how many people can survive that grind and that kind of pressure and that kind of publicity everything like that so that you can get your millions doggy we had tina on here and she was saying powerlifters feel a lot of pressure leading into like nationals and she's <laughs> like it's crazy she, and i was like that i took i was like I, I don't have sympathy i'm sorry <laughs> uh but i don't if it's like bullying cyber bullying yes like when the beefs happen and um you know, people start bullying. That doesn't matter. That can, it, it can feel like the weight of the world. So that, yes, I do have sympathy, but in terms of just pressure to win, no, none, because <laughs> it's a sport and this is what sports are. And you have to just, this actually, you, this can actually elevate you in, or, or whatever if like, but no, because my God, can you imagine like a celebrity would be like, this is, this is nothing. This is absolutely nothing. <laughs> this is like, like actual, actual, people think 20,000 people follow you and oh my God, it's overwhelming. There are people, 20 million people following them and um, everything is critiqued. I mean, like all over the world, like you go to the grocery, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to, you know. So have you guys ever seen the Andre the Giant um, documentary? No, but I love Andre the Giant. I, okay. I read a lot about him. So basically like, you know, 
he's seven foot four, whatever he is, you know, well over 400 pounds. And like, one of the biggest things that he would say to his friends all the time is like, I just want a day off. Right. Cause like, if he goes to the grocery store, he's fucking Andre the giant, right? Like <laughs> baseball hat and a jacket. He's still seven foot four. He's got a baseball hat and jacket to hide. <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, if, if either of us was famous and we, you know, we need just, okay, cool. You know, I, you know, like, uh, whatever, Bruce Springsteen, right? Puts a hat on, puts a jacket on, he can go to the store and most people won't know it's him, right? But like, you know, when you see this guy, you're like, who the hell is that? You know, you're in the airport. Who the hell is that? You're in this, it doesn't matter where. Like, so everywhere he goes, he's either that freaky guy and people are gawking and talking and whatever, or everyone knows he's Andre the Giant, you know what I mean? So like, he would always tell his, you know, his friends and stuff, like, all I want is like one day a month where I can just do anything and not have to worry about you know photos and people like grabbing my hand and like you know all this crazy stuff because they would just basically make fun of him all the time because he's so goddamn big um but i couldn't imagine that like you can't even hide right like you have to literally like stay in your house to hide you couldn't even do anything normal like you want to go get a beer no chance because yeah everyone in that bar is coming over to you to be like holy shit you're humongous you know? yeah <laughs> i got a couple andre let me add to that because andre is a fascinating guy for me um for all those reasons you just said like so he hulk hogan was talking about so this is the 70s so you guys have to picture as well like we're talking the phones were like rotary phones back in the day <laughs> Most of them were rotary phones when he was growing up. So he, you would put your finger inside the little hole and turn it around like a clock for anyone listening who's younger and doesn't have any idea what I'm talking about. I mean, to the point where he would have to take pencils and put yeah, them in the phone. It was like, you know, when you're trying to undo a little small screw in the back of something to put new batteries in, this was like his life for everything though. Like, it, like when they would go into hotels um, and you know, the revolving turn doors were all, like all the expensive hotels that they would go to all had those. Cause it's really stylish at the time. And they're still around now, but there was even more so during a certain period. Cause it made it look like more sophisticated. Andre would have to go to sometimes he couldn't go through those doors. He couldn't even go through side doors. They would make him go through the shipping and receiving roll of fucking doors. loading dock, and yeah. the loading dock. <laughs> and you know, for the first couple of times, you know, you have a smile on your face, but if you're Andre, it's like a fucking thing where it's like, no, I'm going, I'm going through a shipping dock door. No, I can't call on the phone. Even if he got a car, he was five, he was over 500 pounds he couldn't get in like on the bus when they took planes and remember everybody was small in their seventies. He, he like, there were certain planes where they couldn't fly when they're on the bus. It was crazy uncomfortable. The seats had to be like those big, huge seats where there is no individual seats because the seat would be half in him all the time. Like it, it, there's no proper way for him to sit on it. He, if he was going to drive a car, he couldn't get in. He's five hundred seven foot, whatever five. He literally could not enter the cars. So they said that one of the worst things was actually on the airplanes, he couldn't use the bathroom. He couldn't oh, fit in the door. <laughs> so they would have to close the curtain, give him a bucket, and they would fill up the bucket. And then whoever he was with would have to go and dump it in the toilet. You think about this, though. When you're a grown man, you're famous and everybody knows what you're doing. It's humiliating. <laughs> where you're like, so if you actually think about his life, he couldn't use the phones. He couldn't enter buildings. He couldn't drive cars. He's shitting in buckets with a plane full of people talking about it like years later, like everyone knows you're doing it. And then your buddy comes out with the bucket and you're like, fuck, I'm feeling like a goddamn animal. 
I'm like, I have no dignity. And then you go back to your seat afterwards, feeling like a fucking animal while everyone just basically, you know what I mean? Like he was an alcoholic, surprise, surprise. He couldn't deal with this shit. And to your point where he's at bars, he just wants to be there. So sometimes people would drink with him. And sometimes people would pick fights with him just because it's, I want to fight a giant. And even if I lost to say I fought a giant or just the whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. So you're, you pick a fight, win or lose, I fucking fist fought a giant. And he would constantly be like, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight. He said one time they were, they're at a bar and for the hundredth millionth time, a fucking group of assholes, college kids were picking a fight with him. He slams down his fucking beer mug and it's like, that is it. And they all were like, oh shit. So they barreled out the front of the bar and they were parked outside and they're fucking gunning it. Now, Andre is a massive man, so he's not quick. They all got into the car and were starting it. Like, you know, those fucking horror movies where the, the killer, like the Jason Voorhees rolling up on the car and like, start the car, start the car, start the car. And he's coming through, but he's slow. But so he's coming almost in slow motion. Like, holy fuck, you're following the keys. Like, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in. And they're like, close the door, close the door, close the door. So the doors are all closing. Lock, 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 lock. So they're locking them, doing up the windows, fumbling to start to catch. Oh, oh, oh. It starts up, starts up. Now he's on the side. He's at the, he made it to the side of the car. He hasn't pulled away yet. <laughs> fucking Andre the Giant reached out, flipped a fucking full car full of college kids, which I know strong men could do, but it's still, still incredible. And then when the cops arrived, and then Andre left, like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And some of the wrestlers hung out to tell the kids, like, you know what you did? You got what you asked for. Leave it. And they were tell like, telling the kids. So the cops came. And the guy who was telling the story, I forget which wrestler it was now, was like, the kid, when the cops showed up, the cops were like, what happened? And the kid was like, fucking giant flip, came by and flipped my car. And the cop goes, fuck out of here. And he <laughs> smelled the booze on the kid and was like, you're full of shit. A giant flipped your car? You, he's like, what the hell? And he looked at the, he looked at the uh, wrestler, the wrestler's like, I don't know what these kids been fucking drinking. So, you know, a lot of them do LSD these days. And the guy and the cops like, we're going to throw him in the fucking piss tank. I've seen this kind of thing. Kids get rowdy and he probably flipped his car drinking and driving. And, and the wrestler was like, it's probably what happened. It's probably what happened. So they, they just took the kids off, threw them in the piss tank. And we're like a fucking giant flipped your car. What an asshole. And it was like, no, a giant did flip his car. Though. <laughs> but it's uh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see videos or photos of him like holding a beer bottle. Yeah. And it looks like one of us holding like, a kid's toy like bottle like it's like literally it looks like this big it's it's incredible how big this guy was but he's a yeah. fascinating um he's a fascinating character like i'm not even super into you know professional wrestling but some of the stories of guys i read autobiographies on him because their stories are absolutely amazing um like totally unrelatable andre john's probably the most extreme like physically like that but some of our stories are absolutely fascinating stuff. 106 beers in one night or something like that yeah, is like it's legendary what they're beer. claiming. <laughs> it's legendary. And then, and like 106 beers, a couple bottles of wine and drove home or something ridiculous. <laughs> like this is back in the, the good old days. He's French, huh? He actually yeah, he's from, from, from France. France. Yeah, yeah. And um, he had, I think he had a daughter that he never saw though. Like he left France yeah. to be famous like he was man he's not he's not like without his flaws like no his know. daughter was in california actually was it okay yeah um, the daughter was it was american yeah yeah um, 
Was she big? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, like, you know, again, you, you're basically a carnival act at that point, like the 70s and early 80s wrestling, right? You're traveling from town to town, like, look at us, come see the giant wrestle yeah. so-and-so, you know? Like, it's yeah. literally a carnival act, right? It's before yeah. cable and all that stuff. Um, yeah, just, it's crazy, you know, flying with Japan to, like, be the, you know, evil American or whatever that's coming over to take over, you know? Can you imagine what he would have been like walking the streets? Of, like, I remember... Um, TD Thomas Davis, he's like six four, four hundred pounds. And when they had like bench worlds in Japan, he said they would go to the movies. And when they left the movies, uh, like twenty people will have been waiting for him to sign autographs, take pictures. After the, it wasn't his movie, <laughs> was, but they were like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" They're like, "You're here for something." And they we and they found out after the fact. They're like, "Give me your picture. Give me give me your autograph." And then what do you do? Oh, you're a world champion, you know, power lifter. And then it's like, okay, well now the picture means more, but I already knew you were like freakishly huge. Imagine <laughs> like, cause you just stand out. Imagine what they would have thought for Andre the giant man yeah. when he's mobbing the streets of Japan and he would have been mobbing the streets of Japan like in the seventies and eighties when they had way fewer foreign travelers and, and um, cross-cultural, like, like, again, this is before internet and all the rest of it. So you're far more isolated in the world altogether, let alone an island like Japan. Fuck, man, they would have been gone crazy for him. <laughs> That's wild. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Dog, did we fucking fill an hour quick or what? <laughs> <laughs> we started off with 90s hip hop. Bill, you, I didn't know you were joking with 90s hip hop, but it was. No, I, just, I know, I knew that would be, I, would, I knew you would be into it. So I was like, yeah, let's roll with this. Yeah. Next one, we could do uh, the 2000s hip hop. I got some stories there as well that are pretty freaking crazy. And, um, and then whatever happens after that happens after that again. I mean, you can't plan for this. You just got to throw it out there. And you can't just go like, you know, 90s and 2000s. You got to go with something completely different. Do you? Okay. Because yeah. I do have some crazy stories with that, but we don't have to do it back to back. All right. Well, do you, are you going to throw, you do have to throw something up there like Bill did to start and then we could, we could fill an hour, man. I could talk. We, we got time to figure it out. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't have to put you on the spot right now. Listen, gentlemen, much appreciated. Um, let everybody know how to reach you for coaching and all the rest of it. Uh, get the lift on at get the lift on Instagram at coach Arian K on Instagram. There it is, fellas. The boys are back. It was a hot minute since we did one of these. I'm glad we got the, the band back together. And yeah, and belted one off i'm excited uh so much appreciated and everybody if you're listening give us ratings subscribe the whole nine because we got another episode coming up and you want to find out our picks for the, the fantasy league and jump in on this thing all right fellas until next time See ya. peace peace